Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash The Rob Burgess Show. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Hello, and welcome to The Rob Burgess Show. I am, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 21st episode, our returning guest is Jonathan Fowler. But before we get to that, I need to take a moment to tell you about our sponsor. For you, the listeners of The Rob Burgess Show podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. A book that pertains to this episode is Hard Choices by Hillary Clinton. Whatever book you pick, you can exchange it at any time, you can cancel at any time, and the books are yours to keep. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com forward slash The Rob Burgess Show. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash The Rob Burgess Show for your free audiobook. Please consider supporting those who support the show like Audible. You'll be helping me out, and it won't cost you a thing. Another totally free way you can help the show is to comment, follow, like, subscribe, share, rate, and review everywhere the podcast is available. Whether it's iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Facebook, Twitter, TuneIn, or RSS, you can find links to everything on the official website, www.therobburgessshow.com You can also find out more about me by visiting my website www.thisburgess.com Back to today's show. You first heard Jonathan Fowler on episode 2, episode 10 and the last episode, episode 20 of the podcast. Jonathan graduated with a BA in history from Indiana University in 2006. He is an unabashed left-wing political junkie. He has lived and worked in South Korea for over 9 years trying to help the citizens of that great nation hopefully talk pretty one day. A quick programming note, as we did on last week's episode with the Republicans, this conversation is about the Democratic National Convention, which just wrapped up this week in Philadelphia. And now, on to the show. Hello. Hey, Joe. Hey, Bob, how are you? Good, good, man. Uh, so uh, I'm just going to let you just, just rant for as long as you want to rant about whatever you want to rant about. Because <laughs> I know you have some strong feelings okay. right now. Oh, this sounds very therapeutic. Sounds like a good opportunity. Yeah, so I guess we're beginning our coverage of the Democratic National Convention in a uh, in a in an abrupt manner here, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's been a busy week. It's being a busy week, continuing to be a busy week, and uh, I'm trying to keep up with as much of, as many of the speeches and stuff as I can. Um, 
while also being a person who's working full time in a on the opposite side of the world. But um, so there are more more speeches I could have watched, but um, I'll try to get to those and try to continue to follow what's happened just in the last twenty four hours here as well. Well, I mean, we should um, we should probably establish some facts first um, because a lot has happened since we talked last. Um, Debbie Wasserman Schultz yes. is out as the DNC chair uh, by the end of the week, right? Yeah. So she's done. Yeah. Um, there was a hack of uh, DNC emails uh, re- revealing some. Uh, I mean, we all. I mean, we've even discussed on previous podcasts about how the DNC is biased against Bernie Sanders, and it was obvious to anyone paying attention. Um, but then yeah. the Russians hacked the DNC email systems. Uh, a Russian hacker uh, then leaked these emails to WikiLeaks, um, who then published them in a searchable database. Um, we found out that Bernie Sanders was targeted. Uh, that they, they they wanted to use his cover behind being a Jew for uh, they they wanted to go after him for being an atheist. Um, you know, so a lot of things were discovered that were all kind of like as you pointed out, uh, you know, known and uh, we we all saw this happening. But uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz resigned as a result of those emails. Um, now, what effect do you think this has had on the convention? Well, I mean, I guess a couple of things first. I mean, number one, we think it was the Russians. Okay. Now, I, I, I don't have the story in front of me, but, you know, it seems to me that a year ago or six months ago or at some point there was a hack that seemed to be coming from North Korea or China or Russia or somewhere. But after the fact, they discovered that it was like through mirroring or something that somehow, somehow an individual, I don't know, I think it was somewhere in the United States, had made it look like it was coming from one of those places. So... I think, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm sure we're all like 80% sure that it did come from Russia or whatever, but I think there is the possibility that they don't know where it came from and they don't know who did it or why they did it. They were very inconspicuous and, with the metadata in the files. Like, anybody could look this up, like who was uh, the name of the person editing the file, and it was like, it was always okay, like the most yeah, Russian-sounding name. Uh, like, you know what I mean? Like, they, they left footprints all over this, you know? They weren't shy about letting people know um yeah so and i think i think that could go either way i think that i think the fact that that information if it wasn't covered up i think that possibly says something that you know uh anyways well okay so i'm just saying i don't think we know for sure that it did come from the russians and even if it did come from the russians i mean uh that's not the issue i mean the issue is what's in the emails i mean uh, if, if, the, if, if that's not the problem, if the problem is the source, then why did they have Debbie Wasserman Schultz resign or get fired or whatever the hell happened there? If she didn't do anything wrong and the only problem is that the Russians are trying to skew the election for Trump, then, um, then why is she resigning? Why wouldn't she stay on? Uh, the other thing is, I mean, you know, America's for a long time, for however many, 50 years or 60 years or however long we've had it, we've had, you know, uh, what is it? The Radio America, America Radio, uh, whatever the hell it's called. Uh, the kind of the freedom. Yeah, I, I can't think of the name right now. The, but, the Voice you know, of America. In broadcasting. 
North exactly. of America, yeah. yeah. We've been broadcasting that into countries like mm-hmm. Russia and North Korea and these countries to try to get them the correct information about what's going on inside their own country. So it is a sad state of affairs if we have, you know, author, author, uh, you know mm-hmm. uh, autocratic Russia of 2016 letting American citizens know what's going on inside their own democracy. So even if it is the Russians trying to sway things in a certain way, and I don't think that allowing the Russians, if they want to have Donald Trump be the president so they can manipulate him and control the globe, that's obviously a bad thing. But it's a sad state of affairs that American citizens get information from Russia, mm-hmm. not from local media, not from American media sources, um, who to some degree, greater or lesser degree, have been shown to be, you know, in the pocket of the establishment Republican and Democratic binary system, mm-hmm. you know, crazy about the horse race of politics, which, you know, the horse race is interesting and all, but, you know, there's right and wrong at the end of the day, too. Mm-hmm. So um, if this was, if this was, sorry, I can, I'm so mad I can barely speak here about various aspects of this thing. Well, I mean, here's, here's um, but here's something to think about. WikiLeaks in the past has been a conduit to expose, uh, you know, government corruption for, I, I feel like the Chelsea Manning thing was like, somebody saw something happening and they're like, people need to know about this. I feel like in this way, they're almost targeting and being like, we are specifically, like Julian Assange has said, you know, what he's going to release next, whatever that is, is going to get Hillary indicted. Um, and he seems very certain about that. And he's already got one scalp, so you know what I mean? He's already got one, uh, you know, he's, he's already made... Yeah, she's, she's already resigned. Um, so he's already proven to be effective in this, so I wouldn't dis- dismiss... I don't know what, what he has, but... Um, well, I think, you know... I think if he's trying, whatever game he's trying to play here, um, you know, I think the guy should be tried for the the rapes he supposedly committed in Sweden or Switzerland or wherever, but not necessarily be extradited to the U.S. afterwards. If they want justice for those rapes that supposedly happened, which they may or may not have, when I say supposedly, I'm not casting down on doubt on the accusation. Right. But well, we should, we should that mention that he has been living in the that. Ecuadorian uh, embassy of uh, London for the last however many years, you know, because of this. Four or five years is yeah. a long time. Exactly. Um, so, um, but but I'm just saying, like, whatever his end game is, I think. But he might even not even know what he's being used for. You know what I mean? That's that's my concern. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying, if, if he's if he's trying to derail the Democratic election, I think that's unfortunate. This was very strategically timed, you have to admit. Yeah, but I'm just saying, getting Trump elected is fucking stupid of him, if that's what he's aiming at. And uh, I'm just saying, like, I mean, all this stuff, you know, I, I it should have, if, if he had the stuff, it should have been released before the primary was over so that it would have benefited Bernie Sanders rather than Donald Trump. Yeah, that's... To do it at this late date is putting is putting Democrats in a very nasty situation. Right. After what should and, be a very easy convention to overpass, you need to surpass in every way. Um, just by design. I mean, as we talked about, just the clown car of, of people that, that performed at the Republican convention as opposed to the uh, list of like A-listers the the Democratic uh, Party has going on. Um, did, Bill, did Bill Clinton speak tonight? 
Um, I don't. I don't think I've seen anything about Bill Clinton speaking yet. Um, I've been pretty busy though, so I haven't gotten to uh, do as much stuff with this as I'd like and watch as many videos as I'd like. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I will say. I mean, um, Hillary Clinton got the nomination earlier, uh, and so that's you know that ship has sailed. Um, number uh, another thing. I mean, with you know, with uh, Julian Assange saying that he's got stuff that's going to get Hillary indicted, I don't think that's going to happen. I think they've already showed, the FBI has already showed that they're not going to indict her, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Number, I mean, if for no other reason than the fact that an FBI investigation leading to an indictment of a person running for the President of the United States at the head of one of the two major parties would look too much like outside interference in the political dimension and interference with democracy, which um, rightly or wrongly, to some degree, it would be. Mm-hmm. But I think the uh, the solution to that should have come from the Democratic Party, not to run somebody who was at great risk of being convicted of a crime or being accused of a charge with a crime. Mm-hmm. Um, but they chose not to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, at every step of the way, I think the establishment Democrats have said, well, you know, she's a great woman and we'll do this and it won't matter. All this other stuff is ridiculous. It doesn't matter. Uh, we don't think there's anything to it because we want her to win, not because we're like looking at the evidence objectively or, mm-hmm. you know, or somebody else before did something similar, even though they weren't running for president. And so, uh-huh. you know, oh, Colin Powell had email and yeah. Condoleezza Rice had email. But, okay, but, but let's president. take this back to the 90s, um, because do you think you had maybe slightly, I mean, I'm, I include myself in this, do you have, Do you think maybe we collectively, the, the royal we, uh, had a uh, you know collective blind spot when it came to the Clintons because things were, were going well and, and they, you know, kind of triangulated? You know what I mean? Has this always been the case and we're just realizing it now and were we just tricked into complacency before or do you think the clintons have gotten worse i i think i think the 90s was a very different time and i think you know the clintons did a lot of good things at that time um and i think within the confines of what was going on in the country at the time i think they did a pretty good job now you know we're finding that there are people who have always been opposed to them and there are issues that they've always been opposed to them on that turn out to be kind of righteous issues um in the 1990s, I was, you know, I was a student, middle school, high school, whatever, and I didn't really understand stuff like NAFTA. But I, at the time, I perhaps I had a somewhat more naive view of it. I was like, well, you know, whether it's American jobs or jobs in Mexico or Canada or whatever, I mean, everybody's working, and, you know, we shouldn't discriminate, discriminate against anybody else and this and that. But the realities of the economy have become more apparent as I've gotten older as far as um, – Companies want to save a buck no matter what. They want to move things offshore where they can pay people cheaper, where they don't have unions to contend with, where they don't have environmental regulation to contend with, which is all stuff that's coming up again with the TPP, which there's just so many. Okay, sorry, I'm freaking out here because there's just so many different directions I could go with this, but. Uh, I, I think I perhaps in the 1990s would say that I had a perhaps a naive understanding of, uh, for example, the issue of NAFTA. And I think there were a lot of people who were against NAFTA at the time, and I think I perhaps wrote them off. Um, as, I mean, do, you know, wasn't Ross Perot somebody that people. was an anti-NAFTA person at the time? 
Uh, yeah, I believe so. As memory serves, I I got to admit my my memories of third party candidates who were running back then is a little bit sketchy. But okay, well, I, I do want to talk about third party candidates later. But go on. Yeah, well, I, I would just say I think that I I think Bill Clinton was a basically a, a pretty good president overall. There were some things as far as the super predators stuff that was going on, as far as the mass incarceration, as far as ending welfare as we know it, these kinds of things where, you know, looking back and seeing what the result was, we can see now. And, and I don't want to say just looking back, because obviously there were people at the time who were aware of it at the time, and they deserve all the credit in the world for seeing it for what it was. But at the, at the same time, we've all got to play within the, within the confines of whatever the situation is at the moment. If this is the Democratic candidate at the time, um, well, then that's kind of sometimes we got to support. Unfortunately, right now we're being put in a situation where we're starting the Democratic primary with Hillary Clinton as the the obvious choice, and the Democratic National Committee has just been found to have been, um, as we've all known all along, without proof. But now we have the proof that their members were biased in favor, and their leader was biased in favor of Hillary Clinton. And yeah, you know, it's uh, it's extremely frustrating. I will say, you know, um, to go a little bit off topic, as far as the speeches that I have watched, I thought that Michelle Obama had a largely an outstanding speech. Uh, she gave a really good speech. It'll be a hard one for uh, Melania Trump to to copy or to follow up or to plagiarize. <laughs> She'll have to start yeah, her mouth exercises um, now to get around those big words. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, Mo, um, Michelle Obama said, for example, um, I wake up every day in a house that was built by slaves, which mm-hmm. is, a, you know, that's a pretty profound thing to say Absolutely. for a black woman to be, you know, married to a black man who's the most powerful man in the world sure. living in this house and just mm-hmm. understanding the legacy of that. Mm-hmm. Um she said at one point she had some jokes in there. I don't know who her writer was or how much. I think she obviously had a lot of uh, input into the speech, but she had some good jokes in there. She said uh, something about how Barack Obama went to a school one time and a little black boy looked up at him and said, uh, is your hair like mine? It's, you know, it's a powerful moment. It's a powerful image. And I'm sure that that exchange really happened. With every word we utter, with every action we take, we know our kids are watching us. We as parents are their most important role models. And let me tell you, Barack and I take that same approach to our jobs as president and first lady because we know that our words and actions matter, not just to our girls, but to children across this country. Kids, kids who tell us, I saw you on TV, I wrote a report on you for school. <laughs> kids like the little black boy who looked up at my husband, his eyes wide with hope, and he wondered, is my hair like yours? And make no mistake about it, this November when we go to the polls, that is what we're deciding. Not Democrat or Republican, not left or right, no, in this election and every election is about who will have the power to shape our children for the next four or eight years of their lives. tonight because in this election there is only one person who I trust with that responsibility 
only one person who I believe is truly qualified to be President of the United States, and that is our friend Hillary Clinton. But we just have to remember that Donald Trump will never have the same situation. He can't look down at that kid and say, your hair is like mine, because no kid's hair is like Donald Trump's. <laughs> so I would just say, <laughs> so that was a good moment, I thought, and it kind of like drew a contrast. Um, but um, I, I, she, what, what else did she say? She had a pretty good anecdote, which I can quote. She said, um, she was talking about their children, and when, when the, the Obamas first went to the White House, she said, um, when our girls, when they set off for their first day at, at a new school, I will never forget that uh, winter morning as I watched our girls, just seven and ten years old, pile into that those black SUVs with all those big men with guns. <laughs> which, you know, in, under, in any, any other circumstances, would be a horrifying image, <laughs> she said. And I saw their little faces pressed up against the window, and the only thing I could think was, "What have we done?" <laughs> that was a, that was a funny anecdote. I thought, <laughs> yeah, it's just a bizarre image. But of course, because she's the you know, it's Secret Service protection for the girls. It's you know, benign. Um, but in in almost every speech that I saw for the D, uh, the DNC last yesterday, um, there was an element of anti Bernie support. And at one point, she said something to the effect of, "When Hillary lost in two thousand eight, she didn't hold a grudge." Basically, mm. and the implication, of course, being that um, that Bernie supporters who continue not to want to get behind Hillary Clinton are being unreasonable in a way that Hillary supporters in two thousand eight were not. And I don't know. It's frustrating to hear. I mean, the, the Obamas beat Hillary at the time. They got what they wanted. And I, I'm sure that they feel some sort of a debt to her because she, you know, she worked with them for the past eight years. Um, but I don't know. It was a frustrating moment in the speech. Um, Al Franken's speech also said uh, – what did he say? I got my doctorate in megalomania studies from Trump University. It's a good line. Uh, he said, Trump University's business school's bankruptcy school is known throughout the real estate investment community for its creativity. It's a good line. So he had a good line, a couple good lines. Um, now he's been a he's been a Hillary supporter from the beginning, but he was on stage briefly with uh, with uh, Sarah Silverman, who was originally a Bernie supporter, who is now turned over to the Hillary side. And they, she gave her speech about how she came around to support Hillary. And then they were, I think Paul Simon was going to come out and play Bridge Over Troubled Waters or something after their their speeches. And the people backstage told them through the mic or whatever, hey, you need to you need to buy us a time. We need a bridge here. We don't have it. He, Paul Simon's not ready or whatever the hell. What the hell was he doing? Um, and so, you know, they kind of ad-libbed for a few seconds. And then she said, because all the Bernie supporters were booing every time Hillary was mentioned, that they were being, quote-unquote, ridiculous. And then there's more booing, of course, and, you know, it pisses people off, of course. Um. Hillary is our Democratic nominee, and I will proudly vote for her.
She's like the only person ever to be overqualified for a job as the president. So I tell you this, I will vote for Hillary with gusto. continue to be inspired and moved to action by the ideals set forth by Bernie, who will never stop fighting for us. I am proud to be a part of Bernie's movement, and a vital part of that movement is making absolutely sure that Hillary Clinton is our next president of the United States. Booyah, Baba Booey. Gee, that was that was pretty good, Sarah. Um, Hillary. Ridiculous. He told us to stretch, so I figured I'd add that. He made me cut off my speech, and now we have to stretch. Oh, I have so much I want to say. Well, okay, we, you know, what? Listen to that, listen to that. Listen to what you did. This is a comedian. This is the power of comedy. Thank God they can fix this in post. You know, we, uh, we have been I want to thank you because Sarah and I have been asked to stretch because uh, we are about to introduce someone that we're both huge fans of. How are we doing, guys? We close? Well, we'll see. You know, Sarah, the, what I love about us both being here is that you know, you're, you're, you know, it's like we're a bridge, a bridge. How do you figure that out? How do you figure that we're a bridge? Well, uh, you were for Bernie. Right. I'm for Hillary. So we are like, like a bridge over trouble. Oh, good Lord. I just don't think it's ridiculous uh, to be outraged that we discover literal corruption in the Democratic National Committee the day before we're supposed to all rally around the, ca the candidate who benefited from that corruption. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's ridiculous to be outraged for that. And mm -hmm. if Bernie Sanders supporters do eventually come around and get behind Hillary Clinton, that's nice, I guess. But in the moment, I just like to like, I'd like to ask a Hillary supporter, um, what do you think about the fact that there was corrupt? You said all along there wasn't corruption, and now that's been proven that there was. And I know they would say, well, you know, there may have been people talking about doing these things, but we don't think that anybody ever did these things that they were talking about, so there was no corruption. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, to get into specifically, I know I'm kind of like I've been going on for a while, but to get in to kind of bring it to the point where we talk about some of the stuff that was in those emails, I think the uh, in fact, uh, let me pull it up on my screen here. I have the uh, the email regarding religion, which I think it seems to be the 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 one that has garnered the most attention, perhaps. Um, what does it say? Uh, this was from Democratic National Committee member Brad Marshall. He said, it, makes no, it might make no difference, but for Kentucky and West Virginia, can we get someone to ask his belief, his being Bernie's? Does he believe in a God? He has skated on saying he, was a, he has a Jewish heritage. I think I read he is an atheist. This could make several points difference with my peeps. My Southern Baptist peeps would draw a big difference between a Jew and an atheist. Okay, well, a lot of Hillary supporters and Hillary apologists would say, well, you know, they talked about that, but they never did that. But um, I seem to remember that in one of the uh, one of the town halls where Hillary Clinton got peppered with uh, softball questions, they actually very pointedly asked Bernie Sanders about his religion. You said your spirituality is that we are all in this together. Yep. Explain to people what in your head and in your heart motivates that togetherness? Is there a higher power? Is there a higher intelligence? What do you believe in? This is what I believe. Every great religion in the world, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, essentially comes down to do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. And what I have believed in my whole life, I believed it when I was a 20 two-year-old kid getting arrested in Chicago fighting segregation. I believed it in my whole life. That we are in this together, not just not words. The truth is, at some level, when you hurt, when your children hurt, I hurt. I hurt. And when my kids hurt, you hurt. And it's very easy to turn our backs on kids who are hungry or veterans who are sleeping out of the street. And we can develop a psyche, a psychology, which is, I don't have to worry about them. All I'm going to worry about myself, I need to make another $5 billion. But I believe that what human nature is about is that everybody in this room impacts everybody else in all kinds of ways that we can't even understand. It's beyond intellect. It's a spiritual, emotional thing. So I believe that when we do the right thing, when we try to treat people, with respect and dignity, when we say that that child who is hungry is my child, I think we are more human when we do that than when we say, hey, this whole world is me. I need more and more. I don't care about anybody else. That's my religion. That's what I believe in. And I think you know, most people around the world, whatever their, their, their religion, their color, share that belief that we are in it together as human beings. And it becomes more and more practical if we destroy the planet, because we don't deal with, with climate change, trust me, we are all in it together. And he fielded the question rather gracefully, but at the same time, it was clearly an attempt to get him to admit to being a member of a religious minority that would have disqualified him with a large section of the voters of America. So I don't think we can say that that, um, that, that, never came to, that, that plan by the DNC members never came to fruition in one form or another. Mm-hmm. And um, the other frustrating thing, I mean, look, I mean, I'm an atheist, and 
when I was, you know, I was growing up in the North Carolina in the 1990s, and there was kind of a the Baptist Southern Baptist revival or whatever going on at that time period. And you know, when I was 10 years old going to school, I mean, kids would come up to me and ask me, "Do you go to church?" And I didn't know what the right answer was. I, you know, I didn't want to be an outcast or whatever. So I kind of said, "Yes, sometimes." Because actually I had gone to church until I was four years old, so I had memories of that community. I didn't really understand why my family had stopped going. But um, but so I would tell them, yeah, yeah, sometimes I go to church. They're like, well, which church would you go to? And I was like, well, different ones or whatever. It was all this wishy-washy bullshit. And a year or two later I realized it was bullshit and I shouldn't have to do that. But as an atheist in America who's been discriminated directly in this way, by people saying, what's your religion? Are you religious? Do you believe in God? What do you think about all this? Why don't you? You know, I, uh, I'm extremely angry to see that people in the Democratic Party, of both parties, of the two parties who are going to discriminate based on religion, we expect that from the Republicans. That's why millions of people in America who are not evangelical Christians, and even if they might agree with Republicans on economic issues or certain other cultural issues or whatever, they're never going to get join the party because they realize that this party is the party for the evangelical Christians and it's not the party for them. We don't expect this kind of uh, underhanded discrimination and discredited attempt from the Democratic Party. So it's outrageous. Mm-hmm. Uh, I realize I've been talking for like a long time now. Do you, I mean, what do you do? You want to add? Anything? <laughs> uh, um, you know, I mean, it's it's more disturbing to think that your friend is your enemy than your enemy is your enemy. You know, um, it's always you know because you expect your enemy to behave in a certain way, and, and Republicans have made it very easy, like you said, for people um, of a certain background to embrace the Democratic party but if they're going to leave them behind in the service of you know anything goes you know to to get the win um including throwing people like yourself under the bus yeah no it's <laughs> yeah it's it's a it's a demon that needs to be exercised and they just seem to want to paper it over uh paper over it um it, what do you what do you make of the fact that bernie seems to have come come around well, I think I don't really think that he has any choice at this point. And um, to come to come back briefly to the, the religion issue, because there are one or two more things about this that I want to mention. Okay, go ahead. Um, a lot of I've seen. I just to kind of put a bow on it, as it were. Um, I think that um, a lot of people in the media and a lot of people out there, you know, supporting Hillary or whoever, and supporting even Debbie Wasserman Schultz, frankly, have intentionally misunderstood what the issue with the religion was. Um, For example, uh, Fox News, I read an article yesterday, and I can pull that up, but before I do, I've also got a comment from a Daily Cost user who was, you know, defending the situation and basically trying to downplay this. This guy, Richard N. Jacks, his name said, if you read the emails, there is really only one only one that's foul by some redneck in West Virginia. And that one suggests that Sanders' faith, he's a Jew, be used against him. Well, Debbie Washington Schultz, a Jew also as well, probably wasn't going to go that route, and she did not. Okay. Um... So he's saying the issue wasn't the atheism. The issue was they were trying to use his Judaism against him, which is, you know, even by a cursory glance at actually what was said, we know that that's obviously not what was happening. And 
for anyone to try to misunderstand that. It's obviously intentional. Um, also, the Fox News. Let me see. Fox News. What did Fox News say about this? Okay, Fox News. Okay, a Fox News article. Bernie Sanders got done in by Dirty Debbie and the Democrats. An article by Todd Starnes on the Fox News website. He says, they also wanted to use Bernie Sanders' Jewish faith against him. Um... I mean, that's, I mean, there's more that I could read, but I'm just going to say that's the, that's the salient part of the article. Now, clearly, this Fox News, you know, writer and this Daily Cause, presumably liberal or at least democratic uh, commenter, they're intentionally misunderstanding the aspect of this. They're trying to say, oh, well, if you're saying that the Democratic Party is anti-Semitic, it's not, because Debbie, Debbie Wasserman Schultz was a Jew, too. And finally, in the end of it, um, the DNC didn't use anti-Semitism to go after Bernie Sanders. Mm. But the obvious issue is that uh, Southern Baptists and evangelicals broadly have no issue with, or they have less issue with a Jewish candidate than they would obviously have with a, um, a an ethnically Jewish atheist, practically, candidate. Mm-hmm. So the issue was atheism. It was not Judaism. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for all these disingenuous people who want to either attack the DNC or attack Bernie or attack Hillary or whoever they want to attack, or they want to defend Hillary and defend the DNC and defend Debbie Wasserman Schultz, they have a clear reason why they are intentionally misunderstanding what the issue with that that particular email was. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, so that that was really my final thing on the religion email. Mm -hmm. Um... But uh, I don't know. Where were we going after that? Was <laughs> well, something I, something I thought of while you were talking was that um, oh, and, uh, WikiLeaks recently also had a uh, slight controversy where um, – have you, have you seen this thing online where people put three parentheses on either side of their name? Um, no. No. I, that's probably because you're not on oh, Twitter. Wait, wait, is this – Yeah. Yeah, I'm not. Wait, is this the thing where they try to they they're doing this to show that these people are Jewish or something? Yes, yes, exactly. So, to, for for people yeah, in the audience who who are not familiar with this, um, white supremacists uh, created a Google Chrome extension uh, wherein, uh, if you go to a comment or a social media post of somebody who is Jewish or expect to be controlled by the Jewish hand, as it were, <laughs> you you go to their page or whatever and you comment. And you put a you know three parentheses on either side of their name, and this program would pick it up and add their name to this database of known Jewish you know whatever. Um, so people in protest have been uh, since this has come out, and Google has scrubbed this app from their you know extensions. Um, people in protest of this have been putting the parentheses around their name to be like, yeah, I'm Jewish. So what? Um, you know, they're, I'm going to report myself as a Jew, um, kind of like a you know middle finger in their face. So um, people have been criticizing uh, WikiLeaks for promoting this particular line of thought that you know what you're talking about about the Judaism. So so they were like, so what is this a new hipster thing for like people that disagree with real information? I, I can pull up the original tweet, but they deleted it. Very quickly because it was totally ins- so, so yeah there was an anti-Semitic attack or at least perceived one from WikiLeaks. 
Okay. Now, wait a minute. I'm not following the connection from the anti-Semitic app to WikiLeaks. I'm not following the connection. WikiLeaks there. commented on Twitter that people that had a problem with them supposedly pitting Jew against Jew to be like, oh, well, you're the real, you know, fascist or whatever. Um, you know, it was an anti-Semitic tweet. I'm going to have to find it. But um, anyway, th- there was, uh, my point is that there was a perception of this was a very anti-Semitic uh, directed leak of information towards, you know what I mean, like denigrating the Jewish people because, you know, dot, dot, dot. You know what I mean? Like, so people's defenses were up about this anti-Semitism, is, is, is what I'm saying. Okay. But I, I guess I'm just like, um, but the I'm saying the white, so the white supremacist groups were the ones who made this Google extension. That had nothing to do with... Uh, WikiLeaks. So I'm not following what what did WikiLeaks say exactly about Jewish people who were. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm trying to pull I'm, this. Uh, up. I guess I'm, there's some piece of. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling the okay. Here. All right, <clears throat> here's the original tweet. Tribalist symbol for establishment climbers? Question mark. Most of our critics have three brackets around their names, and the brackets around their names has three, you know, on either side. And ampersand have black rimmed glasses. Bizarre. Hmm. That was the original yeah, that tweet. Seem like a very it doesn't seem very kosher. <laughs> <laughs> point yeah, is no, that that people are feeling their oats as far as this whole anti-Semitism line of thinking. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, you know, like, so people's defenses are up. Yeah, but I, I think most people should still have the um, ability to parse what is being said in an email mm-hmm. and understand what the intention is. I mean, if, if, you, if you can't parse that email and figure out what the actual I was getting at, then you don't have a you shouldn't have a job in politics commenting on the goings on and the machinations and the machinations I guess I should say you know it, it just you know uh, how, how do you become a Fox News contributor well I mean I guess you become a Fox News contributor because you can be counted on to intentionally misunderstand or misconstrue information when it's inconvenient for your line so I can understand how that guy got a job but. Um, I'm just saying, like, I mean, these people, you know, when they intentionally misunderstand things, they should, uh, there should be a cost to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, yeah, so I, I think we can, I think we can leave the religion aspect there, but yeah, I think it's, it's very clear that the Democratic National Committee wanted to use, um, in the Democratic National Committee, the, the Democrats should be the big, the big tent party that includes, you know, racial, ethnic, religious, uh, gender minorities or whatever, all these mm-hmm. groups together. So when they're using, they're trying to use Southern Baptists against atheists in a, in a democratic primary, that's, that's pretty damned ugly. Mm-hmm. So, and so, yeah, so it's very frustrating when, when that kind of thing comes out on, what was it, Saturday or Sunday, and then Sunday or Monday when the Democratic National Committee, uh, Democratic National Convention kicks off and they expect everybody to just jump on board and support Hillary, Mm -hmm. or else they're going to call you immature and they're going to call you a secret Trump supporter, or they're going to say whatever they're going to say, 
I, I don't accept it. Don't mm-hmm. accept it. Are you so upset about this that you would vote for a third party? Um, I'm looking pretty hard at uh, Jill Stein right now, and I'm not sure if that's the way I'm going to go. But I feel like, um, with regards to Hillary, I feel like I've resigned myself to supporting Hillary several times over. And I've gone through basically the seven stages of grief or whatever, <laughs> denial, anger, bargaining, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, multiple, multiple, multiple times. And then, you know, and then I, and then some other thing, just a slap in the face, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm getting tired of it. If she doesn't need us, she doesn't need us. If she loses to Trump, which right now the polling suggests that she's trailing Trump or close to tie, but trailing when she was ahead a week ago. Which is insane given the fact that <laughs> it's Donald Trump. I mean, you, how can you be losing to Donald Trump? I mean, this guy is, you know, like... <laughs> yeah. And, and that's another thing. When when uh, Clinton supporters say, well, if you vote for Jill Stein or whoever, if you're not going to vote for Hillary Clinton, then you're basically voting for Donald Trump. No. When Bernie Sanders was up in the polls against Donald Trump, having like a, over a 10-point lead over Donald Trump, and Hillary Clinton was down to him, and she was down to t- uh, Ted Cruz, and she was down to these other people, John Kasich or whoever she was down to at the time, the Hillary Clinton supporters weren't thinking like, well, gosh, if we want to beat the Republicans, I guess we better, we better support Bernie Sanders because according to the facts, according to the polling numbers, and granted, polling is temporary, it changes, but I think his Bernie Sanders numbers were always consistently better against the Republicans than Hillary's ever were. She was up and down at various points, and Bernie's was consistently ahead of them. So if they want to say, if they want to try to, if, if Hillary goes up the bat and she chokes, <laughs> they have nobody to blame but themselves. Mm-hmm. And from from the primary, Bernie supporters said, we'll vote for Bernie, but if Bernie doesn't get it, we may or some of us may vote for Hillary. Some of us won't vote for Hillary. Some people would go. I think it's been wildly overblown the number of Bernie supporters who would ever support Trump. I think those people were more likely like libertarian types or, you know, uh, small government types or anti-establishment types in the right wing who were brought over by his message, which is the amazing thing, was that he was even able to bring over any of those people mm-hmm. um, who were never going to vote for Hillary anyways, and for their own different reasons, which were likely not as principled, were likely a little bit sexist and so forth. But to try to conflate anybody in the Bernie side who would not vote for Hillary with those people is disingenuous. Mm-hmm. But from the very beginning, there have been large sections of the Bernie uh, Bernie support uh, group that uh, Bernie support group. It sounds like we're, we're going to need a Bernie support group damn election. <laughs> but um, you know, the, at, at, to try to you know, the Bernie the Bernie camp has been very clear that large sections of them were Bernie or bust for a long time, for six months or so at least. And Hillary voters have never said they would never vote for Bernie if he were the candidate in large numbers. They've generally said, well, we prefer Hillary, but if it was Bernie, we'd vote for him. So from a from a purely dispassionate point of view, if your goal is to have a Democrat beat a Republican in November, then you support the candidate that more Democratic voters are going to support. If if 20% of the Democrats, I don't know if it's that high, say they're not going to vote for Hillary, and 100 or 95% of Democrats say they would vote for Bernie. If you want to win, then you run Bernie. You don't continue to support the flawed candidate who is going to lose support amongst the base. 
mm-hmm. amongst whom the base the base is not passionate about her. People are not passionate about her. I see people out in the street chanting Bernie. I see people in the convention hall chanting Bernie. I don't see people chanting Hillary until they have to until they have to uh, respond to the Bernie chanters and try to like, you know, they're not. I don't know. <laughs> like I can't even. Right? That's what young people say these days. I can't even. It's just you know, it's just so maddening. Yeah. So for for but basically for Hillary supporters to say that people who don't vote for Hillary are sexist or they're secret Republicans who want Trump to be the president or they're people who have betrayed the Democratic Party. No, this has been there all along. Some people were not going to support Bernie or were not going to support Hillary. Some people's support eventual support of Hillary was contingent upon her making overtures to the Bernie supporters, which you know she's done a couple things. Granted, she's said, although I don't think anybody believes her, that she's anti-TPP now. But who did she choose as her running mate? Pro-TPP guy from Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody knows about this guy. Nobody knows who he is. I know it's like the hot thing to do, you know, to choose some kind of person that basically nobody outside of the Washington, you know, halls of power is aware of and say, Oh, well, this guy from this small state, um, he's actually, you know, he's kind of a political maverick. And, oh, look, it's, uh, look, we got, you know, this guy, we got Kane, we've got uh, Palin. Look at this. Wow, how creative and outside the box thinking we are. But what is he? He's a central, he's a center, center right Democrat. He's pro TPP. So Hillary says she, on the one hand, on one side of her mouth, she says she's anti TPP. On the other hand, nobody believes her. And on the other side of her mouth, she, she says, I'm going to choose this Kane guy to be my VP pick. And he's pro TPP, so you can kind of like, I think we can extrapolate what her actual position on TPP is. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Anyways, I know I'm ranting quite a bit. <laughs> I, I want to. I mean, what did what did you think about the the Kane pick? Uh, it was like we said. It was totally uninspiring. It was. Uh, I think it's you know it's something that they probably focus grouped and they were like, look, Hillary is losing with white men. What can we do about that? And it's like, let's get a white man. Okay. Uh, and he's just like you said, somebody nobody knows. Um, I thought Cory Booker would have been a better pick. I thought Elizabeth Warren would have been a better pick. Um, you know, there are so many other people. It's just, it's amazing that this is like the best two we could possibly come up with <laughs> ever. <laughs> like that somehow the process produced this. This is what we're going to do. And it's like, okay. Um, but it's not necessarily unlike Barack Obama choosing Joe Biden. Um, because he wanted to soothe people that were like, first black president, okay, let's get a white guy, you know, right next to him, you know, that you can feel good about being like Obama, Biden, you know. Yeah, I, and I can understand that. And I, I wasn't wild about um, about Joe Biden. I mean, I think I think some of the things that he said about what did he say about uh, Barack Obama? He said he's very well spoken to a black guy or something like that. Yeah, I mean, he said some stupid, stupid stuff in the, in the primary when he's running against him. And you know, we've all come to love quote unquote Uncle Joe or whatever. He's a funny guy. He always says the wrong thing. He likes to eat things. He loves ice cream or whatever. Um, but but yeah, I, I think it was not particularly an inspiring choice at the mm-hmm. time. So, but I th- I think like um, I think Bernie supporters were angry at 
Elizabeth Warren for waiting until, you know, until the delicate math said that it was going to be Hillary and then immediately jumping out and very forcefully supporting Hillary when it's obvious that she's ideologically closer to Bernie Sanders. Mm -hmm. But I think that a choice of Elizabeth Warren would have been much more gutsy. It would have been much more inspiring to the base of the Democratic Party, if not necessarily the people in Virginia and West Mm -hmm. Virginia. Um, And, you know, and let's watch what happens. Let's see if Hillary wins Virginia and West Virginia. (laughs) Maybe she will. Maybe she won't. But I have a feeling those are not Democratic strongholds. Mm Mm-hmm. I think the idea, though, is that Elizabeth Warren has a lot of power in the Senate, first of all. And secondly, you know, becoming the vice president is a pretty useless job in a lot of ways, unless you just accidentally get to become the president. Um, So there's that. And then I think that she might be setting herself up more for the next in line thing, you know, as has traditionally happened in parties. Um, You know, like the Republicans used to do this. Yeah, Yeah, 2024 is a long way off. Um, You know. But somebody has to be that person, and I think she's playing a long game. I think she'll eventually run for president. Yeah, possibly so. Although, you know, we're at a unique point in our nation's history where this this kind of uh, left-wing populism is uh, able to gain ground. In four to eight years, we may or may not still be in this place. Mm-hmm. And I and I don't, you know, I don't like this thing where it's like it's somebody's turn to be president. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I like Elizabeth Warren. I'm disappointed in what she did in the primary here. Um, but... Uh, you know, I'd like to have my options open in 2024 or whatever. And just think about that. In 2024, I mean, what are we going to be? We're going to be in our, like, 40s at that point. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have Hillary Clinton be the president for the duration of my 30s. <laughs> just, <laughs> I, I certainly don't want Donald Trump to be the president for any duration in my life. But this is the shitty choice that we're now faced with, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, it's We're getting old. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not morning in America anymore, as the Clintons famously said back in 1991, 1992, or whatever. <laughs> but just remember Bill Clinton's uh, theme song, Don't Stop Thinking About Tomorrow, Chad. <laughs> yeah. Remember Fleetwood Mac? <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, he's, uh, they did certain things. <laughs> uh, well, anyways, yeah, so, so, um, have you been able to follow the, uh, convention coverage at all? What, what have you seen? What have you wanted to see? Yeah, I mean, it seems like more volatile than the Republican, uh, uh convention in certain ways. Um, you know, Donald Trump pretty much effectively took over the Republican Party. I mean, he sealed the deal. Yeah, it was a hostage situation, but it, he he completed the mission. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, Nobody's rallying around Ted Cruz yet. So. Not just yet. Um, but we'll the keep holding our breath. Yeah. But the idea that you should just choose somebody because it's like or else you're going to support this person, isn't a persuasive argument. And what's going to get Donald Trump elected is if people stay home. And the Clintons seem to be hell-bent on making that happen. So that's very frustrating, because Donald Trump should be the easiest person in the world to to beat. Um, Yeah. 
So I think that fact that it's close yeah. at all, let alone him being ahead now, apparently, is just it's like yeah. really yeah. you're gonna lose against this guy? Who can who can you win against then? If if not this guy, like you know. So and you know, and I I, I hearken back to our Republican uh, national convention coverage last week and. We what are we we were joking around about how the Democratic National Convention was going to be boring and nothing was really going to happen and it was going to be you know basically unified or whatever. Yeah, I remember that. Obviously, that's not the case. You know, <laughs> on on day one of the Republican convention, they had the floor vote. They tried to call a vote or whatever to unbind the delegates so they could vote against Donald Trump, and they failed. And that was basically the end of it until Ted Cruz got up there on the second to last day or the last day of the convention and said what he said. And the Democratic National Convention should have been a cakewalk after that. It should have been a very smooth, easy, you know. But due to the WikiLeaks thing, due to Debbie Wasserman Schultz being fired and then immediately rehired by the Clinton campaign, which is a slap in the face of the Bernie supporters, which is the ultimate insult. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, you know, what is she, she's in charge of the 50 state strategy or whatever. So she's, she's gone from unofficially supporting Hillary Clinton and working on Hillary Clinton's behalf in the, in a position where she was not supposed to have done that to now they're just making it official. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Bernie wanted her gone. She's gone. That was a, that was some, that was some red meat for the democratic base who said, Hey, we don't like this lady. We don't like the way she's behaved. We don't trust her. And we don't want her as the head of the DNC. And frankly, we don't want her as the senator from Florida. And a certain guy named Tim Canova, I believe, is running a pretty strong primary with Bernie's support against her. Mm -hmm. Of course, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama said they're going to personally go down to Florida and support her in her reelection campaign. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Bernie's supporting Hillary officially, but at the meantime, they're still fighting these little battles in certain states over stupid things like corrupt politicians like Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who should be gone. You know, somebody needed to fall on their sword for this. And for, for a couple hours, I went to bed thinking that one person was going to fall on her sword, the right person or one of the right people. If if Debbie Wasserman Schultz had fallen on the sword for this, maybe we could still say, okay, well, you know, we we know that Hillary Clinton knew about this. We know Hillary Clinton approved this, and we don't like it, but, you know, we do have to unify behind her at this point. But for Hillary Clinton, by the next morning when I woke up and I saw the news that Hillary Clinton had basically said, oh, we're going to give her a job now, unbelievable, so stupid. The entire point of having anybody fall on their sword at that point was nullified because there's no consequence, you know? Mm-hmm. I, and people would say, well, her new position is just basically a, uh, it's just a symbolic thing. It's just a faith-saving measure. Um, she was going to do damage to the Democratic Party, and the and she was going to fight this if they had tried to remove her and hadn't given her, a, hadn't thrown her a bone there. But... I'm sorry. That's like that's the price of it. That's the price of dealing with a corrupt woman like Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Um, she she gets nothing. She should get nothing after what she did. She should be out on her ass after that. She should not be getting favors still from the person who's trying to unify the party. And half of the party is mad as hell at Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Mm-hmm. That's kind of my take on that. Yeah. Um, I mean, the the real problem is that Hillary Clinton is playing a different game than Donald Trump is, in certain ways. Um, cause, cause, and it's the same mistake a lot of people are making, is thinking it's a normal election. Um, 
and you know you get behind the candidate and rah rah you come in for the big win but like they've taken things for granted with the Bernie supporters especially that they have they have made no effort to say that they are listening to the concerns of this you know very vocal wing of the party um people that you know well, yeah well i i would say hillary clinton has come around a little bit she finally came around on the 15 dollar minimum wage she finally came around on to some degree on um basically free college for families making under 125 million or 125,000 dollars a year uh, at state schools or something. I mean, she's come around a little bit on certain issues, so I don't want to. I I, I want to be fair, you know. I want to be fair and say that yes, she has halfway come around on a few issues, and those are you know good issues. I'm glad to see she's done it. Um, things like the TPP, she says she's against. I don't believe her. Uh, I think I think the you know the proof is gonna. It, it's all gonna come out in the wash. You know, when we actually see her if she's president. Does she actually go forward on these things, or does she use them as a very weak bargaining chip with the Republicans to get something much, much less? Um, so I, I don't want to say that Hillary Clinton totally has totally ignored the Bernie branch, but I think the degree that to, the, to which she has has been unhelpful in unifying the party. Mm-hmm. Because as we've discussed before, there are some people that just want to... They want to shake the system up, and this is like just another people. Yeah. It's just another day at the office for the system. This seems like you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I made I made a Bernie Sanders meme a couple of months ago, about a year ago maybe. Said, uh, I had a picture of him yelling or something at his feet, and I put the meme title: "Some people, some men just want to watch the world burn." It says B E R N, you know, the Batman quote or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, some people. Yes, yeah, some people certainly do. Just want to shake things up, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, what are you looking um, for? What? Okay, what, uh, looking forward. We should probably look forward to the next. We're, we're on uh, day two of four right now. Um, mm-hmm. So, looking forward, as uh, we see towards the end of the convention, of course, Hillary Clinton's going to speak. I don't think we've heard Bill Clinton speak yet. Is that right? I don't believe so. Okay. I'll have to keep watching the news. Bill Clinton, Joe Biden, does he is he going to speak or is Barack Obama going to speak sometime? I believe Obama's going to be there. I don't know about Biden. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think I think Obama will be there. Uh and I'm sure these people will give some good speeches, but uh I just, you know, I think they're I don't know. It's uh it's just a total mess. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, logically, I know that we can't have Donald Trump be the president, but at the same time, I can't reward Hillary Clinton and Debbie Wasserman Schultz's behavior over the past year of campaigning in the primary with support. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it, it may come down to it that I do have to vote for her, but she has not earned the support. She doesn't deserve the support. She thinks she can win this thing without the support of the Bernie supporters, largely. She thinks she wants to get, you know, uh, Republican light. She thinks she wants to get some of the, you know, some of the disenchanted uh, Republican vote. That's not a that's not a winning strategy. Republicans are not going to support Hillary Clinton in any numbers. Yeah. So I, I just, you know, I don't feel like rewarding her 
her just bizarre behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel like rewarding her corruption, and I don't feel I, I feel like a lot of. And at the same time, we you know, this is a uniquely dangerous election because Donald Trump is a fascist. Donald Trump is going to be a disaster for the country if he becomes elected, um, and we shouldn't have this shitty of a choice, you know, for something that goes on for the next four to eight years, probably four years under Trump, probably eight years under Clinton. It's just, it's, you know, Mm -hmm. we shouldn't, you know, people say, well, just vote for, just vote for. Well, you know, it, it, this is something that has almost a decade of consequences. If we vote for her, Mm -hmm. um, the democratic party has put us in a very, very nasty situation. Mm -hmm. And I and I don't think they get to blame anybody when people act out in ways that are not going to give them what they want because mm-hmm. it, it was all entirely predictable throughout the entire primary. So, anyways, I, I realize I'm kind of blabbing on here a little bit. Um, I do got to get back to work over here, uh, but I think we we definitely have some more coverage coming throughout the week as things go on. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Any, anything else? Yeah, that's good, man. Uh, let's talk uh, tomorrow or the next day or some sometime just this week uh, to kind of wrap okay. it up at least. Um, but yeah, yeah. Th- thanks for uh, sharing your thoughts. I, I don't think you're the only one. Um, but yeah, we'll be back uh, to uh, wrap it all up uh, very soon. So thanks, thanks, Jeff. Oh, yeah, thanks, Bob. Yep, yeah, talk to you soon. Later. Bye bye. On Friday morning, I called Jonathan back. Hello. Hey, what's up? Hey, how's it going? Good, good. We have a special uh, visitor in the room. Uh, Harper decided he couldn't uh, be separated from me while we were recording this, so you may hear him in the background a little bit. But <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Seems he's recording his own All podcast right. on his uh, long Lego piece he's using as a phone, so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, well, all right. Well, yeah, yeah. It's, well, how's it going there? It's, it's, uh, I'll tell you what, it's been a long day and a long week here. Yeah, yeah. Busy, busy work. Yeah, for sure. Um, I've gotten to uh, watch a lot more of the speeches for the Republican one than I have the Democratic, so I'm excited to get into all of those here. But um, um, what was your, uh, what was some of your highlights here from the last few days? Well, I don't know. It's just, again, it all comes down to kind of a blur. And, you know, while obviously the speeches are the the big thing that is, you know, there to be talked about, I do think that, like, you know, speeches, you can only glean so much from speeches. Um, you know, you get some applause lines, you get some exciting stuff, you get some funny jokes sometimes. You get a whole bunch of, you know, positive, inspirational stuff that doesn't necessarily always mean very much, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in the speeches, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
let's see, I uh, don't have the schedule in front of me, but I did kind of just watch uh, several of the major ones here. Um, I think, like you said, uh, Bill Clinton was speaking when we uh, talked last. What did you think of his speech? Okay, well, yeah, no, I thought Bill Clinton's speech was, you know, it was pretty good. I thought it did a good job of humanizing Hillary for the most part, um, kind of bringing us back to the, you know, the woman she was when he met her and married her, and uh, they had Chelsea, and they were, you know, governor of Arkansas and all that, and skipped over some of the later stuff, I think, um, as far as the run for the White House and a lot of the things that happened there. It was kind of a abbreviated, obviously, but... Mm-hmm. Pretty good, you know, insight, and I, I just don't think that, I don't know, you know, I think like, I think I, I think we all kind of know what kind of person Hillary was, and I think that that was basically a good person who was very driven um, and uh, very active in helping people at, at various times in her life. Um but, you know, obviously a lot of things did not get mentioned and would not be mentioned, which were, you know, uh, you know, the Patriot Act, the vote for the Iraq War. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so what was your take on Bill Clinton's speech? Um, I thought it was good. I, I thought it was kind of an interesting way for him to start out being like, I met a girl and blah, blah, blah. It's like, <laughs> are we talking about Hillary? <laughs> I thought that was an interesting way yeah. for, for Bill Clinton to start a speech, leave us wondering which girl he's talking about. You know what I mean? <laughs> In the spring of 1971, I met a girl. The first time I saw her, we were, appropriately enough, in a class on political and civil rights. She had thick blonde hair big glasses, wore no makeup, and she exuded this sense of strength and self-possession that I found magnetic. After the class, I followed her out, intending to introduce myself. I got close enough to touch her back, but I couldn't do it. Somehow I knew this would not be just another tap on the shoulder that I might be starting something I couldn't stop. I saw her several more times in the next few days, but I still didn't speak to her. Then one night, I was in the law library talking to a classmate who wanted me to join the Yale Law Journal. He said it would guarantee me a job in a big firm or a clerkship with a federal judge. I really wasn't interested. I just wanted to go home to Arkansas. Then, then I saw the girl again, standing at the opposite end of that long room. For the fi- finally, she was staring back at me. So I watched her. She closed her book, put it down, and started walking toward me. She walked the whole length of the library, came up to me and said, look, If you're going to keep staring at me, and now I'm staring back, we at least ought to know each other's name. I'm Hillary Rodham. Who are you? Like, maybe you want to zero in on that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, he, I, I thought it was a, you know, it was a, it was a nice speech. I thought, um, pretty good. Um, it's just, you know, it's, you know, just as a, as a voter and as somebody who's not, you know, Hillary Clinton's not my first choice for the Democratic Party, um, mm-hmm. head of the Democratic Party, the presidential candidate. It's just, you know, I mean, you've, I mean, everybody, like I think I mentioned last time, everybody's got a nice story. If you, you know, if you talk to Dick Cheney's wife, she would probably tell you some really charming stories about the man she met however many years ago. And yeah, they're all human beings. And yes, they all have, you know, personal interest stories about how they met and the family things they did. But at some point you get to policy and, uh, and, uh, actions and things they've done or supported and stuff. And I just, you know, so you've kind of got to square the, the, the kind of the filler and the background and the, you know, the, the kind of the folksy stuff away from the actual, you know, actions that have been taken. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's definitely true. Um, I thought it was interesting, the branding that Bill Clinton was using for Hillary and that he was like, and she's a change maker, um, which I think was kind of concocted to play off of the whole Obama change thing. I thought another piece of branding that didn't go so hot was the love Trump's hate thing that they kept going back to. Did you see that in any of the speeches? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I saw the, I saw the signs and yeah, it seemed kind of ridiculous because it sounds like, it sounds like you've just dropped the subject of the sentence. Like I love Trump's hate or something. I mean, you know, it's like, I mean, it's, I, I know they're trying to play off the word Trump and everything, but it's, you know, you know, love that love Trump's hate. Just love it. I love it. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like it's just it's it. I don't know that it totally works. It's poor branding it's, uh, it's for a lot exactly. of reasons. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. What did, what did you take away from that branding? Well, I mean, they're using. I mean, obviously, they want to address Trump and what he's saying, but they're using the word Trump in their slogan to mean kind of strength and dominance. So you're using the thing that you're trying to combat against in the sentence as a, you know, something that's, that's supposed to indicate this is better than, so I don't really know how, how that would help your cause to have them, people associate your opponent with strength or whatever, <laughs> but, um, I don't know. Yeah. It seemed like kind of a silly thing. I mean, there were a lot of those little, you know, slogans and stuff like stronger together. And I just feel like they're groping at something. And they're not really getting to it, you know. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's, uh, I, the, the whole thing is, uh, it's pretty colored by my disappointment with the way things worked out. Which is, you know, one thing which you can either get behind, get back, get get past, or wallow in, I suppose. But at the same time, I think, like, now, I'll say, like, I mean. I was watching a young, a young Turks video earlier when I was coming home from work and stuff. And it was, uh, they were talking about, uh, I don't remember exactly. I think I forget what they were talking about exactly, but they got onto the subject of, you know, um, Bernie Sanders supporters and stuff. And Anna Kasparian got very critical suddenly of people who are still supporting Bernie or still supporting the, you know, the Bernie Sanders movement or with, with or without the man himself at this point. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of taken aback. I was kind of like, whoa, 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 whoa. And she, she, cause she's like, um, you know, these Bernie, Bernie Sanders supporters at this point are, you know, it was kind of like a, like kind of being ridiculous moment by Sarah Silverman or something. It was like this person who has been very supportive up until 
even earlier this week, is all of a sudden like, oh, oh, at this point it's just sexist not to support her. At this point, you know, you got to get you got to get past it and stuff. Well, maybe you do, but like I think the number of revelations about things that have been done in her name and with her support and with her implicit approval, um, I don't think that you know. I mean, we just—it's been less than a week since we found out what the what the DNC was doing, and since Debbie Wasserman Schultz stepped down, and since Hillary hired Debbie Wasserman Schultz, and since you know any number of things that have been you know very offensive and stuff to mm-hmm. and plainly disrespectful to Bernie supporters. So for somebody who's been you know a, one of the main people on the Young Turks and stuff, and somebody who even says, well, you know, I live in California, and my state's not a swing state, so if you live in a swing state, you should probably just vote for Hillary, but I'm going to vote for Bernie, you know. I'm pretty sure that that Anna Kasparian has said that, and I know several other members of the Young Turks have said that. Mm-hmm. So I'm just thinking, like, you know, what, you know, what the hell? I mean, I know, like, it's going forward, it's not easy to be antagonistic towards Hillary Clinton or anything, if she's since she's going to be the standard bearer of the Democratic Party, but um, you know, it's shocking and a little disappointing to see somebody who's been a very strong proponent of Bernie throughout the whole thing to um, you know to kind of turn on the people who are still not ready to get on board with Hillary mm-hmm. uh, for whatever reason. Yeah. And I think, you know, I didn't I didn't get to watch honestly, I didn't get to watch all of Hillary's speech. I was watching all the other speeches leading up to Hillary and I was going to try to get that one in, but I got parts of it, but I didn't get all of it. Um and uh at one point when she talked about thanking Bernie Sanders and stuff like this and stuff and they cut to Bernie Sanders in the stands, he was not smiling. <laughs> like mm-hmm. he had a very, you know, controlled look on his face. Mm-hmm. He was not smiling like everybody else was when they cut to them when they were getting mentioned or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, you you know, a lot of Hillary's, there's, you know, they say, oh, well, you know, your your candidate supports Hillary, so you should support her too. You know, you should just follow what he says. He says to support her, so you should do that. Well, maybe you should vote for her, but you should not. I, I don't think anybody who's supported Bernie is going to be very enthusiastic about her, and I don't think that he has, like I said maybe earlier, I don't think he has a choice. I think he basically has to support her at this point, and uh, I don't think it's a very uh, loving support <laughs> for you know for whatever reason, probably for a, a variety of legitimate reasons that we've talked about before. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually also did not watch all of her speech. I watched as much as I could. Um, I, mm-hmm. I did not care for it, only because I, I just realized that I just don't like I don't like listening to her at all. That doesn't mean I'm not going to vote for her over Donald Trump. I mean, that should go without saying, but, you know, like, I just, if she could just be the, fine, just be the president, Hillary, just be the president. I don't want to hear about it anymore. Stop campaigning. Can we just stop this and just, you just be the president? Because I I really don't want to hear her make another speech. Like, she just sounded so disingenuous. Uh, all the time, uh, you know, when she was addressing Bernie, it's like, you brought up great issues and stuff, and it's like... I want to thank Bernie Sanders. (laughs) Bernie... 
Bernie, your campaign inspired millions of Americans, particularly the young people who threw their hearts and souls into our primary. You put economic and social justice issues front and center where they belong. And to all of your supporters here and around the country, I want you to know, I've heard you. Your cause is our cause. Our country needs your ideas, energy, and passion. That is the only way we can turn our progressive platform into real change for America. We wrote it together. Now let's go out and make it happen together. Yeah, you probably mm-hmm. wish he had not run. So I, <laughs> we all know yeah, that. I, I, you know, I, I glommed on to just enough issues that I would have to to try to begin to make an effort to steal some of your voters, mm-hmm. and uh, otherwise I've you know stubbed my nose at you at every step of the way. <laughs> so yeah. Um, uh, what was it? There's some quote from The Wire. Uh, where a reporter was talking about um, this politician. Um, the politician was, like, saying something nice about his opponent or something on TV or something, and he said, and he was saying very nice and flowery, you know, things like politicians always do in these speeches. And the reporter was watching it on TV, and he said something like, um, he's paraphrasing what the politician's really saying, and he says, like, um, he feared and hated me, and I merely wanted to kill him. <laughs> I think that's about where we are with these two right now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, now, I, I also watched Elizabeth Warren's speech. Um, and okay. th- did you watch that? Uh, I didn't get that one. Hmm. Um, no. Well, there was. A, it was a pretty good speech. It wasn't. It wasn't the best speech, maybe of the of the whole thing, but it was pretty good. Um, I did notice in the in the audience though there was a pretty vocal contingent, and I think this cropped up a couple of times. Uh, you know, of course, the Sarah Silverman thing, but um, you know, there were there were cajoling from the Bernie Bernie people in the audience, um, and I heard uh, a chant at one point to Elizabeth Warren where uh, they were saying, uh, "We trusted you." we trusted you like I I don't know like it seems a little bit like I, I know that conventions are supposed to be messy and, and thank goodness we finally had a little bit of action you know because normally conventions are just about as rote and uninteresting by design as possible they're just meant to be big infomercials for the for the candidates and I've, I've actually just kind of avoided watching them up until this year because they are so vacuous normally but um do you think it's in any way, uh, and I've heard this argument uh, from a couple different areas, do you think it's in any way like white privilege or any kind of, uh, you know, kind of, uh, I don't know, kind of white supremacy that you're able to say, you know, burn your bus, not you necessarily, but people in the Democratic Party, that, you know, if Trump becomes president, I think is the argument, then these, you know, you won't be the first one to get up against the wall. And, you know, people, minorities, 
who have a lot to lose. You know, we all have a lot to lose with Trump, but obviously minorities have, in some ways, more to lose on a personal level with Trump. Um, and they feel like you're, they're, you know, people that are still holding out for Bernie are playing fast and loose with their futures for, you know, whatever. What do you make of that? Well, I can no, I've, I've I've heard that argument, and I can see how that argument is a convenient one to make. But when I see Bernie protesters, I don't see a lot of white people. That's true. I see, you know, when I think about people who are still Bernie or bust or whatever, I mean, okay, for example, um, the two African American gentlemen who do a they they've started a I guess a social media um, media empire called um, Let the Madness Begin. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're very, they're still out covering the Bernie protests and stuff and very much still into that. Um, the Muslim American woman who, um, is a strong supporter of Palestinian rights, who was crying for supporting Hillary. And then she came back later and said, no, no, I was crying for Bernie. I'm a Bernie supporter. And I'm just sad to see the whole thing dying or whatever. <laughs> and they're like, oh, we're sorry. We used your photo. Um, Rosario Dawson, uh, she was just on the Young Turks today, still burning her bus. I mean, I, you know, there was, I, I saw an Asian woman who was, a, I think, a Bernie delegate crying and stuff at one point. I mean, I don't see a sea of white men like you do with Donald Trump. I see, mm-hmm. you know, the Bernie bros has been a bullshit myth the entire time. Mm-hmm. And I don't see, I don't see it as a, an ethnically or, uh, gender-wise, a you know a monogamous or like a what we say a, a like a single type of person. I don't see just white young men supporting Bernie Sanders. I see quite a diverse group mm-hmm. still supporting Bernie Sanders. And we're when I say supporting Bernie Sanders, I don't mean I mean two things. I mean the movement mostly mm-hmm. because yeah. He's not going to be the president. That's that ship has sailed. But mm-hmm. yeah. if anything, people who are still supporting the message and still supporting, you know, getting more of his stuff into the into the democratic, uh, you know, what can we say, into the democratic policy, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I don't. Yeah, I don't buy that. I don't buy that. That's what it is. I think it's a very convenient thing to say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Cornell West, uh, Killer Mike. Mm-hmm. I mean, the list of minorities prominently support supporting Bernie Sanders is very lengthy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so you said last time you were looking at Joel Stein. Are you still thinking about going that direction, or? Well, I think like. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just I, I'm just not there on Hillary. I mean, I just don't. Obviously, uh, Donald Trump is a total disaster who doesn't need to be anywhere near the White House. But I don't like the way Hillary's conducted herself. I don't appreciate hardly anything that she's done in this campaign. Uh, I don't believe her when she says that she's not going to turn around and support uh, TPP as soon as she gets a chance, as soon as, you know, probably as early as next week, who knows? Mm-hmm. I mean, well, probably not next week cause she needs to keep the voters on board and everything, but you know, mm-hmm. I mean, she, she didn't go with Bernie Sanders for her vice president. She didn't go with Elizabeth Warren for his vice president. She went with somebody who, you know, wall street was not going to revolt against. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't know. It's, uh, I, I, what I, I think one thing that is quite amazing about, uh, 
about Jill Stein is that she, before, you know, after it became clear that Bernie didn't have a chance with the Democratic Party, she told Bernie that he could come join the Green Party, continue mm-hmm. his campaign under the Green Party, and, and he could ride at the head of the ticket. Hmm. That would be interesting. Because then, yeah, that would have been. Um, but that was a hell of an offer to make, I think. And that was that was a hell of a thing to do to say, hey, this isn't about me, Jill Stein. This is about these ideals that Jill mm-hmm. Stein and Bernie Sanders largely share. Mm-hmm. And saying, hey, if you can't do it within the two-party system, why don't you come help the Green Party? And why don't you help yourself? And why don't you keep yourself relevant? Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll do it together. And what, so that was a, yeah. that was kind of a character moment, I think. Yeah, yeah, I saw that Jill too. Stein. That was that was pretty amazing. Um, what do you think of the argument though about third parties that if they actually want to be uh, considered a real party that people should consider voting for, that they should run for not just president, but they should put up candidates for lower offices too? Um, you know, then they would actually be seen as more of a legitimate you know, choice for people. Cause it's like, you know, we have these third parties that crop up around election time for president, but you know, when you get to like school board and city council and all that kind of stuff, it's, you don't really see the greens out as much. What, what do you make of that? Yeah. Well, I, th- I think that's, I think there's some legitimate legitimacy to that. And I don't know. I think I th- one thing I think, I think this, I think third parties are dangerous. Um, I will say that because I think if, if one of them ever does come up, um, it's going to cripple whether if it's the libertarians on the right wing or the green party on the left wing, if they ever do get their 15% to get into the debates and everything like that or whatever, um, get federal funding or whatever the benefits they get from 15% of the vote are, then that's going to cripple the Democrats on the green party side or the Republicans on the libertarian side. So I was kind of thinking, I was thinking, like I, I think what the Green Party and libertarians should do is they should form a, a pact and say, look, we're going to like try to pool all our support behind you this time, and you're going to pull all your support behind the other one the next time, which of course is almost impossible to do in real politics. Mm-hmm. But just say, look, one of us getting in is not going to result in anything, but if we both get in, then we've got four parties Mm-hmm. That are that have some shred of legitimacy, mm-hmm. and we'll be we'll both be siphoning votes from respective parties and everything. Yeah, but of course, you know the chances of that happening are you know <laughs> slim to nil. So. Um, right. But I just I just think that like um you know I, I just think like one of them getting in would be not so great. Mm-hmm. But if both of them can get in at the same time or at a at pretty close to the same time, I think that would be better for everybody whether they recognize it at the moment or not yeah well i mean you're right i mean if it's a three-party race then you're it's kind of lopsided kind of a ross perot in 92 situation where people you know although i've heard this disputed uh but people used to say at least that ross perot got bill clinton elected because he siphoned off a certain number of votes from george hw bush but turns out that he might have gotten a pretty equal share of both clinton and bush voters but but who knows you 
know it's hard to play that game. But if you have, you know, an even number, uh, one polling from each side, you know, as you said, the Libertarian from the Republican and Green Party from the Democrats, then it would be a little bit more of a European multi-party system, and that could be a little more sustainable. Where, you know, so that could I could see that happening. Uh, you know, if that if that were to happen, but yeah, like you said, but. Yeah, well, yeah. And, but one thing I think I, I think I, I do think even with a kind of a a system where there are a lot of parties who all have some power and stuff, I think in a way, in the long run, I think you know co- coalitions get formed, whether they're temporary or permanent, and eventually you basically come back down to two, right? Mm. Seems to be the the way I mean, it goes. Democrats, yeah. Right. If the Democrats can't compete in some certain place, and they and there's a Green Party candidate who can, I mean, the Democrats would support the Green Party there. Probably, you know, Republican voters would totally support a Libertarian in certain areas where the Republican was not able to do it. And mm-hmm. you know, coalitions and alliances would be formed, and it would be pretty clear whose side each one was on. It. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not I'm not so sure that the 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 European model as far, or even not even just a European model, but the model of having these coalition governments based on these many, many, many different smaller parties is, um, uh, I think it'd be better to have more than two choices, but I do think that at the end of the day, you know, they'll coalesce to some degree and eventually be more like one or like two parties again. I don't know. That's that's a very far way off. I mean, we don't even have multiple <laughs> parties that have a chance right now. So right. Well, maybe we better cross that bridge when we come to it. Yeah. Well, there's always the Prohibition Party, which I just discovered yesterday. It was uh, still a thing. Um, it used to be a pretty major force. Yeah, they and, want to do. Well, they want to get rid of alcohol, Chad. <laughs> Prohibition. Oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> they lost a lot of influence after the end of Prohibition. <laughs> well, <laughs> I guess... Well, the Republicans want to take us back to the 1950s or possibly the 1980s. I guess they want to take us back to the 1920s. Exactly. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah, so, uh, but you were talking a little bit about the VP uh, pick. Did you get to watch any of Tim Kaine's speech? Yeah. One one more thing about the Prohibition Party. I mean, yeah. I didn't realize they still existed, but they do. They well, let me just say before really you go on that their last uh, their last uh, convention, quote unquote, was held uh, over conference calls. <laughs> okay. Well, I was going to say if they ever if they ever won a major election, can you just imagine how depressing their victory party was? <laughs> They don't. They're not popping champagne bottles. I don't know. What uh-uh. No. And even on their website, I was reading yesterday that they say that uh, smoking is the true gateway drug to, of course, drinking. Okay. But <laughs> smoking cigarettes. Um, huh. Yeah, that's their position. But it's it's funny because their uh, presidential candidate is the one uh, elected official they have in the entire country, and he's like a tax assessor in like somewhere in Pennsylvania or something, and, and he's the presidential candidate for them because he's the only <laughs> elected official from that party in the whole country. But um, you you go Pretty low bar for entry, huh? Exactly. <laughs> I could challenge him if I just got elected to some, but um, you'd have to stop drinking, maybe, or oh. or drink on the DL. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Man, the scandals in that party would be so so hard to <laughs> get away from. But um, 
Um, yeah. Yeah. But Tim Kane. Uh, Tim Kane. Totally. Yeah. What do you think? I watched his speech. I watched several speeches earlier tonight after work, and just try. I was trying to get to Hillary's too. I got. I, re- I watched several. And I tried to watch the shorter ones first, so I could kind of get those knocked out and everything. Yeah, I watched his speech, and uh, I don't know. He's he doesn't do much for me. I mean, um, he said his dad worked somewhere, and then his mom was his dad's best salesman. I'm like, wait, wouldn't your mom be your saleswoman? I mean, I don't know. Maybe we can just, I don't know. Maybe, whatever. Maybe he did that intentionally. Maybe, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Gender politics is so confusing anymore. <laughs> um, what did he say? He was a, he was like a Jesuit. He was a Jesuit missionary to Honduras, and I'm not wild about missionaries. I don't think Christians need to be going into other countries and trying to Christianize things. Um, uh, he so he was in Honduras or whatever. Wait, right? that's not why you're in South Korea. And so then, after, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, secret. Um, yeah. Jesus saves, um, but. So he talked about his Jesuit missionary days in Honduras, and then he lapsed into Spanish repeatedly throughout the speech at random intervals, and I was Uh kind of like... When I lived in Honduras, I learned something. The best compliment that you could pay to somebody was to say that they were listo, ready. Not inteligente, smart. Not amable, friendly. Not rico, rich. But listo. Listo. Because what listo means in Spanish is this. It means prepared. It means battle-tested. It means rock-solid. Up for anything. Never backing down. And friends, Hillary Clinton, she's listo. Hillary Clinton is listo. I don't know. You know. Okay. And, uh... Si se puede. Oh yeah, yes we can in Spanish, mm-hmm. and like the, the Spanish was so simple that I could understand basically every word he said, even though I haven't studied Spanish for over a decade and I'm very, very, very rusty, uh-huh. which is a shame. I'd love to study it again. I, I'd love to get good at Spanish again, but um, I think I better I better do Korean before I get to Spanish again. Yeah, <laughs> so, right. Um, well, he said a lot of faithy stuff. He talked about religion a lot. Um. What did he say? What what else? What did he say? He um, he. Uh, one thing that I think that he started doing that I noticed a lot throughout this thing was it seems like the uh, Democratic Party is becoming more and more like the Republican Party in the past. I mean, yeah, definitely. He said, he said, if you what do you say? If you're looking for the party of Lincoln, um, we got a we got a home for you right here in the Democratic Party. Ann and I have now been married almost 32 years, and I am the luckiest husband in the world. You know, let me tell you something. Ann's parents, Lynn and Jinx, are here today 90-plus and going strong. 90-plus and going strong. Lynn... Linwood Holton, he's still a Republican, but he's voting for an awful lot of Democrats these days. An awful lot of Democrats. And here's why. 
He's voting for Democrats because any party that would nominate Donald Trump for president has moved too far away from his party of Lincoln. And I tell you, if any of you are looking for that party of Lincoln, we've got a home for you right here in the Democratic Party. Okay, at other points I noticed that, you know, people had called America the shining city on the hill or whatever, which was Reagan's big line or whatever. Um, the anti-Russia stuff is obviously going to the Democrats now because the Republicans are under Trump seem to be falling all over themselves to compliment the Russians. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, there, there was, there were points in certain speeches where people are chanting USA, USA, which is, you know, it's patriotic, but it's traditionally something I think that's this kind of this mindless patriotism that's more associated with the Republican party than the Democrats. Mm -hmm. So, and and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think on the good hand, on the one hand, it's good because it gives a pretty strong, um, a strong position for the Democratic party. But on the other hand, it may make us... Um, a less serious, uh, less critical, less, uh, I don't know. You know, I think there's certain things that are lost when you get into blind patriotism and jingoism and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but I think the fact that Donald Trump has ran such a ridiculous, has run such a ridiculous campaign has allowed the Democrats to seize that kind of language and some of those talking points and stuff mm-hmm. from the Republicans for the first time in 30, 30, 30, however many years. So, yeah, that's interesting. So, yeah, well, anyways, he, yeah, so he said that, um, he said something, he said he had worked with Bernie Sanders on some committee or something, and then everybody in the crowd started <laughs> chanting, Bernie, 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 and he, he got kind of a nervous look in his eyes, like, oh, shit, what did I start now? <laughs> I, I got them going again. <laughs> um, he said, we should all feel that we should feel the burn, and we all should not want to get burned by the other guy. I work on the budget committee with our great Democratic leader of that committee, a spectacular senator who used to be a mayor, Vermont's Bernie Sanders. And, and, Everybody, we all, we all should feel the burn, and we all should not want to get burned by the other guy. So he's saying, yes, we support Bernie Sanders, but we also want Bernie Sanders, you better damn well vote for Hillary. (laughs) So, I don't know. He seemed like a kind of a goofball to me. Uh, I don't know. Um, Howard Dean gave a speech and I watched it because it was very short and, you know, we all have a soft spot in our hearts, I think, for the 2004 Dean scream. You know something? You know something? If you had told us one year ago that we were going to come in third in Iowa, we would have given anything for that. And you know something? You know something? Not only are we going to New Hampshire, Tom Harkin, we're going to South Carolina and Oklahoma and Arizona and North Dakota and New Mexico. We're going to California and Texas and New York. And we're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Ah! 
Yeah. Which was, you know, back in the early back in the early days of when things went viral on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um and he even he even reprised that at the end of his like little eight minute speech or whatever he said. Um and it's gonna be one in Colorado and in Iowa and North Carolina and Michigan and Florida and Pennsylvania and then we're gonna go to the White House. Help make history and volunteer because this race is gonna be one on the ground and it's gonna be one in Colorado and in Iowa and North Carolina and Michigan and Florida and Pennsylvania and then we're going to the White House and then at that point he opened his mouth but he didn't scream I know I'm so, so disappointed. disappointed yeah I'm like come on man go all the way that's what the Howard Dean's got to do right <laughs> it's like his need right isn't so that isn't, would, isn't that funny that. that in retrospect that's like what ended his presidential campaign was that scream and it's like think of all the things that have happened this yeah. election cycle that have yeah. just or, yeah yeah that that would be like a if donald trump did that exact same thing today that would be like on that that's that's like Tuesday. Mm-hmm. It's like a Tuesday, a regular <laughs> Tuesday. And it doesn't last for one news cycle. <laughs> right. Uh, but in 2004, that was considered ridiculous or something. And it, it got remixed. I remember the Dean Scream remixes, which are classic. People should go look those up because they were funny. Mm-hmm. First listen, of course, to his, his real speech, but then go on, go and hear the, uh, the remix. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House! Tim Tim Keane Tim Kane attacked Trump by you know making fun of his believe me he he said believe me like fifty times or something like we shouldn't believe him. You know who I don't trust? Hmm, I wonder. Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Trump is a guy who promises a lot, but uh, you might have noticed he's got a way of saying the same two words every time he makes his biggest, hugest promises. Believe me. It's going to be great. Believe me. We're going to build a wall and make Mexico pay for it. Believe me. We're going to destroy ISIS so fast. Believe me. There's nothing suspicious in my tax returns. Believe me. By the way, does anybody in this massive auditorium believe 
that Donald Trump's been paying his fair share of taxes. Does anybody here believe that Trump ought to release his tax returns just like every other presidential candidate in modern history? Of course he should. Hey, Donald, what are you hiding? And yet, and yet, Donald still says, believe me. Believe me. Of course, but I didn't think his Trump impression was very, uh, you know, I've seen better Trump impressions, you know. Right. His, his Trump impression was not winning anymore, right? Yeah. You, you get somebody else in there to do a Trump impression, will be winning so much you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> but, um, yeah. That was, yeah, that was pretty so, embarrassing. Yeah, so anyways, yeah, Tim Kaine and Howard Dean, a little bit underwhelming. I will say Howard Dean, they brought him out to talk about health care and stuff, obviously because he's a doctor. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, he had that going, I guess. Um, I watched Chelsea Clinton's speech, and I don't know. It was, it was you know, it's nice to see Hillary. I mean, Hillary's kind of... In one respect, she's kind of our contemporary. I guess she was probably born in 1980. I was born in 83. Mm-hmm. Um, but she just kind of talked about family and memories of her childhood with her parents and watching, like, watching, what was it, the Police Academy movies on a marathon with Bill one time and mm-hmm. uh, how she has children now and how her grandchildren love Hillary and how Hillary loves the grandchildren and this kind of stuff. And I'm like, okay, Um that's nice, I guess. Um, I don't know. You know, it just, it was nice. It was a nice speech. She was speaking very slowly, though. Her speech was very slow and kind of methodical or plodding or something. It was just kind of like, hmm. I don't know. It wasn't quite a natural cadence, I didn't think. Hmm. Um, apparently, the Democrat, the Republicans were furious that Bradley Cooper showed up at the DNC. I saw that. Because they think he's, you know, American sniper Chris Kyle 24 7, right? <laughs> yeah, right. They, they're like, you know, they think, uh, oh, what's his name? Oh, God. Uh, Clint, Clint Eastwood. Eastwood. You know, Clint Eastwood, of course, directed that movie. And so they thought, like, yeah, Bradley Cooper, he could be. You know, in 2012, Clint Eastwood was the guy at the convention, and he, you know, spoke to Obama in the chair very derogatorily. So, Mr. President, how do you uh, how do you handle uh, how do you handle promises that you made when you were running for election, and how do you handle uh, how do you handle it? I mean, what do you say to people? Do you uh, do you just uh, you know? I know people. Uh, People were wondering, you don't, you don't have it, okay. Well, I know even some of the people in your own party were very disappointed when you didn't close Gitmo. And I thought, uh, well, I think get, closing Gitmo, why close that? We've spent so much money on it. Uh, but uh, I thought maybe it's an excuse. Uh, uh, oh, what do you mean, shut up? Okay. It just, I thought it was just because somebody had a stupid idea of trying uh, terrorists in downtown New York City. Maybe that would be. Uh, 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 I've got I've to hand it to you. I've, I've got to give credit where credit's due. You did overrule that finally. And uh, uh, that's so now we're moving onward. And I know in, in the... Uh, 
I know you were against uh, the war in Iraq, and that, that's okay. Uh, but you thought the war in Afghanistan was was uh, okay. You know, I mean, you thought that was something that was worth doing. We didn't check with the Russians to see how they did there for the ten years, <laughs> but but it uh, we, we did it, and uh, it, it was um, it, you know it, it's uh, it's something to uh, to be thought about, and I think that. Uh, that when we get to uh, uh, maybe, uh, I think you mentioned something about having a target date for bringing everybody home, and you give the atomic target get, get, uh, date, and uh, and I think uh, Mr. Romney asked the only sensible question, and he says, "Why are you giving the date out now? Why don't you just bring them home tomorrow morning?" And uh, I thought, I, I thought, yeah, there's a. I'm not going to shut up. It's my turn. <laughs> so anyway, we got. We're going to have. Uh, we're going to have to have a little chat about that. And then uh, I, I just wondered these all these promises. And then I I wondered about uh, uh, you know when when uh, the uh, what what do you want me to tell Romney? I can't tell him to do that. that. Can't do that to himself. You're, you're crazy. You're, you're absolutely crazy. You're getting as bad as Biden. Um, but this time we could get Chris Kyle. But they're like, no, he's a Democrat. <laughs> uh, we, we get better. Who gets better celebrities at the Democratic Party? So oh, for nice. sure. I guess they can keep their Duck Dynasty folk. Oh, and Scott Bayo. Um, but um, yeah, that was that was pretty unreasonable of them to expect him to be. <laughs> I'm sure there were some people sitting at home like, I thought it was Semper Fi, Chris Kyle. I mean Bradley Cooper. I mean Chris Kyle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't. Uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a it's a small thing, but it was a kind of an amusing little thing an anecdote there um oh i love i love joe biden's speech yeah i wanted to get to that i really like that a lot i gotta say i think michelle obama and joe biden both gave outstanding speeches and i think we talked about Mm -hmm. uh, michelle obama's speech uh, the other day Mm -hmm. um joe biden was was pretty good yeah Mm -hmm. i thought he had the right amount of passion like like i was saying like I mean, he's a different guy, but I thought, you know, Howard Dean not going all the way with the Dean scream. I feel like Joe Biden would have done the Dean scream. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, Chelsea Clinton kind of speaking slowly and, you know, that's not Howard Dean. Mm-hmm. Tim Kaine with his kind of like in a half-hearted way throwing the Spanish in there. So I think a lot of the stuff that was lacking in a lot of the other speakers, I think Joe Biden went all the way. And I think one of my favorite parts of his speech, which I wrote down, was where he talked about just, you know, when he was like, let me be serious with you folks or something. He's like, you're fired. He's like, he's known for you're fired. He's like, I'm not joking. Think about that. Think about that. Think about everything you learned as a child, no matter where you were raised. How can there be pleasure in saying you're fired? Mm -hmm. He's trying to tell us he cares about the middle class. Give me a break. That's a bunch of malarkey. Just listen to me a second without booing or cheering. I mean this sincerely. We should really think about this. His cynicism is unbounded. His lack of empathy and compassion 
can be summed up in a phrase that I suspect he's most proud of having made famous. You're fired. I mean, really, I'm not joking. Think about that. Think about that. Think about everything you learned as a child. No matter where you were raised, how can there be pleasure in saying you're fired? He's trying to tell us he cares about the middle class. Give me a break. That's a bunch of malarkey. Okay, so I thought that was that was pretty powerful because I think that is something that need people need to be reminded of. This guy's not he's a businessman, but he's a failed businessman four times over and he's not he traditionally has not cared for the working person. You know, he says, Oh, I created jobs and stuff, but he you know, he, he takes a perverse joy in firing people, which is just disgusting. Mm-hmm. And that's not somebody America needs after the 2008 financial crisis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, how many millions of people lost jobs in that thing? Right. It's shocking that these same people, some of them, want to go out and vote for this maniac. Mm-hmm. So I thought Joe Biden deserves all the props in the world for uh, for for bringing that back to the light of day. Yeah, absolutely. No, I was going to mention that. It was, I think I even liked that maybe better than, it was hard to compare, but I thought uh, Michelle Obama's speech was great, of course, but I thought uh, his speech really uh, kind of carried a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of weight that other speeches really couldn't, couldn't muster. Um, I like that, that part of the speech too. Um, I also liked at the end where he just was like, he, he was just like, this isn't a joke. Let me just get, you know, he, he like broke it down about Donald Trump and that was a good clarifying moment uh, because you know it's it's easy to lose sight of, of you know what's at stake and and how you know serious this would be for all of us if Donald Trump got to be president. So I feel like that was uh, that was a good moment. Sorry about that. Uh, Harper just wanted to wear his shoes and socks and nothing else, so <laughs> we're dealing with that right now. Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, heat wave. <laughs> yeah, it's been pretty hot here actually. Pretty hot in Korea these days. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's raining right now, but it's been miserably hot for the past week or two. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, but, yeah, but Joe Biden was, was great. I, I thought that was maybe one of the one of the best speeches. Um, did you see Cory Booker, his speech at all? I, I was going to start watching his, but his was another one that I didn't get, get to. I watched about one minute of it, and then I got distracted with something, and then mm-hmm. YouTube forgot I was watching that video, and I <laughs> Went down a whole other series of rabbit holes, of course. Yeah, that's how it so, happens. Um, no. Now, but I did see a, a short thing where somebody had said something like, Donald Trump had said something about how he had the dirt on Cory Booker or something like mm-hmm. this. And he, he said, like, um, I know, he, he's like, I know Cory Booker better than he knows himself. He better watch himself or something like that. Wow. And then, like, Good Morning America or the Today Show or somebody was asking him about this. And he says, well, you know, Donald Trump is going to be mean. And, you know, I just want to say I'm not going to be mean back. I want to say I love him. You know, I love Donald Trump, even though he's doing all these things. I just want to be nice and stuff. And Donald Trump tweeted and he said something to the effect of, I know Cory Booker better than he knows himself or so uh, if Cory Booker is the future <laughs> of the Democratic Party then they have no future I know more about Cory than he knows about himself what has he got on you well let me tell you right now <laughs> I love Donald Trump I'm gonna say that what 
I don't want to answer his hate with hate. I'm going to answer it with love. I'm not going to answer his darkness with darkness. I love him. I know his kids. I know his family. They're good. The, the children especially, good people. And this is the problem he has, is that he wants to, first of all, I feel lucky because he was attacking everybody else in the Senate from John McCain to Elizabeth Warren. I was feeling left out. Now he's finally got them. Thank you, Donald. I finally feel like I'm important enough that you will attack and But when you read me. that and he says, well, what else can that mean? Well, I know Cory Booker better than he knows himself. What is that supposed to mean to you? But that's what he wants. He wants us to be speculating. Ooh, it sounds so sinister and this. It does. I don't care. I love you, Donald. I pray for you. I hope that you find some kindness in your heart, that you're not going to be somebody that spews out insults to your political opposition, that you're going to start finding some ways to love. And I'm, I'm going to elevate him. I love you. I just don't want you to be my president. I don't want you to have the White House to be spewing that kind of mean-spirited hate that belongs, it doesn't even belong in a playground sandbox. The reality is, I'm sorry, I'm just going to keep loving on him. Uh, and keep, I'm going to tell the truth about him but I'm going to keep loving on him, praying for the best for him and his family. That kind of uh, vitriol, that kind of meanness has no place in the presidency. Bring it on, Donald. Show your truth. I'm going to show mine. Love you, brother. I was like, wait a minute. What has he got? <laughs> yeah, maybe he actually has something on, you know, if Cory Booker is coming back like this, like, what the, what the hell does Donald Trump actually got on this guy? Because, so... I don't know. Maybe that's why he didn't get chosen as the VP. Oh, well, yeah. That's, that's a good point. Maybe he was going to spill the I beans. His name was in the running. Yeah. Spill the yeah. beans like on uh, Ted Cruz's Don't wife or whatever. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah he, well, he didn't use those words on Cory Booker's point, didn't he? But, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like there might be a there there. I don't know what, huh. I don't know what the situation was exactly, but, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll find out in the future. Interesting. Speaking of leaks and spilling the beans, though, there was another um, WikiLeaks dump of, uh, I think, what was it, like 30 conversations or something, 30 voicemail recordings hmm. from the DNC or something, no, largely regarding that. fundraising. Hmm. Yeah, they were talking about, like, it, it's pretty bad. It's, I mean, it got, it didn't get much traction in the news, but... um. For a day or so there, about a day ago, 24 hours ago, maybe, I think it was a pretty big thing where hmm. they were talking about how people were calling and like one woman who, who had donated $300 said she was on a fixed income and so she's donating to Hillary and the DNC and she wanted the DNC to really come down on Bernie Harder because she didn't like, didn't have much money to give and didn't like giving money if they weren't going to really crush Bernie Sanders and stuff like that and there were other things where people were asking, like, how much money would I have to donate to get a dinner with Barack Obama? And I think the number came out to be about $1.2 million. Mm. <laughs> so, wow. And they were talking about, you know, having these fundraising events, and they were talking about the different levels or something, and they had a special name for people who give over a million dollars or something, and I, I honestly can't remember the name. It was some ridiculous honorary title or something like that. And so, you know, I, I would recommend, you know, checking into that or something possibly before this goes live or something, because there's definitely some more stuff there. It might've, I don't think it was quite as explosive as the original dump of emails and stuff that had the, the attacks on Bernie in them, but mm -hmm. it's definitely, you know, people within the democratic national committee machine talking about money in very, frank and blunt terms and, you know, what it buys, the kind of access it buys and how casually they, they take it all. So I'm curious about what you are doing for Bernie Sanders. He's getting way too much influence. I I have I'm on a fixed income. I spent over three hundred dollars donated to Hillary and 
what I see is the DNC bending over backwards for, for Bernie. And Bernie is the worst person in the world to even be running in a Democratic Party because he's not a Democrat. Please don't give in to him. I don't care about Sanders supporters. Most of them are going to vote for Hillary anyway. Quit acquiescing to this person who likes to play the victim card and who also uh, has been attacking Hillary, which gives Trump all his talking points. I will leave the Democratic Party if the Democratic Party continues to coddle Bernie Sanders. Get rid of the Oh. Yeah, this is Bill Eco calling, Ambassador Eco, E-A-C-H-O. Got a call last week, my wife tells me, from Debbie Wasserman Schultz about uh, a small dinner with President Obama this week on a Wednesday night, I think. I wanted to get the details on that. What is the DNC doing by allowing Sanders to put Cornell West on the platform committee? He's called President Obama a niggerized president. And he said he's a Republican in blackface. Why does the DNC allow such trash to be on the platform committee? I don't understand it. And you guys are losing me. I, I am getting fed up with the Democratic Party because I'm so tired, especially this campaign, of seeing the Democrats just lay back and say, okay, Bernie, you can do me whatever you want to do, whatever you want. We'll give it to you. We'll give it to you. We, we, we promise. And you know what he's saying? He's telling Chink that he is going, he, he may not even um, support Hillary. So, I don't know. I, I don't understand, and I don't know why you guys don't have some courage to say no. I am one of the many Democrats that is so angry at Bernie Sanders that he is trying to change everything, change the rules. He's trying, you know, you guys are acquiescing to him on things in the convention. I don't think he should get a speaking spot in the, in the convention. And for him to try and get uh, O'Malley and uh, Barney Frank off of the rules committee is asinine. Do not let him r- rule the Democratic Party. He's not a Democrat. Please stop this man now. And, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, Julian Assange's said that he's got more stuff coming that could get Hillary indicted. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see if that comes to pass at all. But uh, <laughs> after the convention, I think they were, you know, even if they, I, I can't imagine what they would release that would that would get Hillary knocked off the ticket at this point or get her indicted or get her in any real trouble. It's just, right. you know, after this thing, it's going to be all Hillary. There's no way. I, they're not going to switch it back to Bernie at this point. They're going to go with her all the way. Really? You think even if she were to, like, have something really damaging come out, they wouldn't switch it up? I mean, they could, right? I mean, they're they're not a governmental organization. They can do whatever they want. I mean, they can run who they like, right? I mean, unless there's some campaign law that... She's who they, she's who they like. Hmm. She's who they like. And um, I think the fact that she wasn't indicted for the email thing, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that showed you that the that the FBI didn't want to get involved. You know, they said, wow, this is who the Democrats are running, and if we indict her, it's going to look political mm-hmm. one way or the other. And so I don't, even if there was cause to indict her right there, mm-hmm. and I think the fact that they said that just because this ruling went this way, doesn't mean that in the future, if anybody else does something similar, that they wouldn't be held legally accountable or something to that effect. And I was like, there it is. That's basically admitting this was illegal, but we're giving Hillary a pass. Mm-hmm. Anybody else who ever tries this, 
your ass is going to be on the line. So, right. Uh, so I don't know. It's also frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, these days, I've yeah, I've heard that. I mean, obviously, one of the big things in the past couple of days has been that the situation where Donald Trump made the speech about, you know, gave a press conference saying that if if Russia had any more intel that they should leak it to him because he wanted it, you know, and everybody jumped on him for set, for basically encouraging an international enemy basically to conduct espionage on high-ranking American officials and mm-hmm. use it for domestic political gain, which is unprecedented. And I think, you know, He's a scumbag, and it was an irresponsible thing to say. But I do think, at the same time, I, I could I could see that he said it was a sarcastic joke. Involved with Putin? For I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. I don't think Putin has any respect whatsoever for Clinton. I think he does respect me, and I hope I get along great with him. It's possible that we won't, Jeremy. I hope that we get along great with Putin, because it would be great to have Russia with a good relationship. Right now, we don't have a good relationship. Putin has said things over the last year that are really bad things, okay? He mentioned the N-word one time. I was shocked to hear him mention the N-word. You know what the N-word is, right? He mentioned it. I was shocked. He has a total lack of respect for President Obama. Number one, he doesn't like him. And number two, he doesn't respect him. I think he's going to respect your president if I'm elected. And I hope he likes me. Russia, if you're listening... I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. I think you will probably be rewarded mightily by our press. And the problem with Trump is that he can say something ridiculous, and if if it's popular, he'll say he meant it, and if it's unpopular, he'll say he's joking. And so he's always got that out. Um, But on the other hand, I do think that that was something that if, if, if John Stewart or, you know, if Stephen Colbert or somebody said that, I think it would be seen as the joke. Mm-hmm. But because Donald Trump in his position said this, um, obviously people are saying it's sort of borderline treason, and they're now saying that, that uh, Donald Trump shouldn't be given any uh, intelligence brief- briefings um, by the CIA or whatever until he vows not to leak, or, mm-hmm. or the CIA should brief him, but they should give him false information so he doesn't actually get any potentially dangerous information, <laughs> which is pretty funny and probably a wise choice. <laughs> of course, if he if he actually, if they did that, if they gave him the wrong information and he actually won the election and then he comes in on day one and the CIA has to walk back in there and say, uh, Mr. Trump, about your briefing, um, we have the real briefing here now. <laughs> I, I think, like, <laughs> I don't know, the DIA funding would probably be immediately cut. I don't know what the hell he would do. He'd probably start his own intelligence division like Bush tried to do. Yeah, uh, right. So, I don't know. It all depends on whether he wins or not, I guess, but... Yeah, but I don't know. What did you? What was your take on that? Was that was that an innocent, harmless joke? Was that treason? Was that somewhere in between? Was it ambiguous because he's a because he's a a person who's running for a very serious position? 
I mean, it's kind of a mix, right? I mean, he can, as you pointed out, he can kind of weasel in and out of, you know, saying this is a joke or not, depending on what suits his purposes. Or, you know, he's he's done that with many things. He said, you know, say something people consider outrageous, and then he, in walking it back or whatever, will be like, well, you know, I was just, you know, I was just joking, or I was just trying to make a point or something. This is my real policy or something. And and people who support him seem to be fine with that. But it's it is a way that he's able to kind of get around the normal bounds of, you know, what a politician is allowed to say. And you're right, if John Stewart or Stephen Colbert said something like that, it would be probably considered a joke. But at the same time, you know, he is a presidential candidate. He does have major business interests with Russia. Um, there was a pretty amazing, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember which, I, th- I sent you a link to it, but it was a uh, to- it was Talking Points memo. Um, they did a pretty good rundown of all the connections that uh, Trump and uh, the Putin government have, you know, in common, uh, including his uh, his uh, spokesperson, advisor, Paul Manafort, or whoever that guy is. Um, apparently, he's in deep with the pro, you know, yeah, the Ukrainian dictator or something. It's it's like it's pretty it's pretty amazing how how deep the ties go. Um, I don't have it in front of me right now, but given the fact of all that. To say that, on top of it, you know, it makes it seem like a little less of a joke than if he was just kind of, you know, musing out loud or whatever he normally does. So, I don't know. It's hard to say. Uh, it, it's really, it's it's not good. And it is kind of interesting also, like you were talking about with the, with the Democrats kind of switching uh, sides with the Republicans. Because the Republican convention was just gloom and doom and this is terrible and America's awful and we're the only one, you know, we, i.e. Donald Trump. Trump's the only one that can fix it. Um, and then you have the Democrats, you know, who are the party in power, who have to kind of defend the, you know, what has happened in the interim since they've held the reins, you know, but not really because, you know, they haven't held the Congress and, and the governorships and all these other places down down ticket or whatever. So, you know, there's, there's implications on that, but they have kind of taken up the mantle of, you know, national security, you know, and Russia, you know, is, is bad. You know, that, that's tr- traditional re- Republican lines of thinking. I mean, I even remember in 2012, uh, Mitt Romney, uh, saying that the number one global threat was Russia, uh, and people kind of scoffed at him. I, I might have even been one of those people, um, but it's just interesting to see the the change, uh, what a change four years makes, you know, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Russia thing. I, I, I do think, I mean, I, I think Americans, in, to some degree, we don't know what we want, you know. Because we always complain, we don't like the way that you know uh, politicians and candidates give canned lines and talking points, and they never go off script in the interview. And on the other hand, we have Donald Trump, who is always off script most of the time, and just says whatever the hell he feels at any given time. And obviously, there are some consequences of that. And so, yeah, I think. I think if it was another candidate who had said something like this in a jokey, jokey manner, and there was no way that Russia could misinterpret that or pretend to misinterpret that to use it as an excuse to do what they're going to probably do anyways, um, I think that'd be one thing. But I think with a guy like this who has muddied the water so much with what he actually means and when he's lying and when he's telling the truth, I, I just don't think he's the right presidential candidate to be able to go off script all the time. But 
I do think, you know, well, you know, like we've talked about before, his his vice presidential candidate, Mike Pence, uh, or his vice presidential, um, you know, selection, Mike Pence's interview of George Stephanopoulos there, where he, I think it was on the podcast a week ago, where he, you know, gets grilled for like 10 minutes and he never goes off script and never actually answers the question. I think that's the other side, you know. It's, it's, uh, and obviously there are pros and cons to each one, but yeah, um, he may be in some real trouble mm-hmm. for this, this, this thing. <laughs> yeah. It'll be interesting to see if anything gets made of it. It's just, it's, uh, I saw a list of all the times that he's uh, weirdly sided with Russia on many policy issues and it, it goes back several years and there was even a tweet, uh, I'm, I'm going to butcher it, but I'm paraphrasing. It was like, it was from like 2012 or something. It was about the Miss Universe pageant taking place in Moscow. And he was like, will Putin come? Will be he be my new best friend? Question mark. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> it still hasn't been deleted. It's just still there. Like, it's just there for, for posterity. <laughs> Everyone to go look at but, you know, from one strong man to another, I guess, you know, it's if, <laughs> I guess this is what, uh, what happens when you're one of these people. It's like, who, who is your peer? I guess it's just the only other, you know, Mussolini-esque uh, billionaire or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's, he's got a long and well-documented love affair with, uh, dictatorships. Uh, he talks, you know, he said nice things about Saddam Hussein. Mm-hmm. He he he's, he apparently used to have a, a book collection of uh, Adolf Hitler's speeches or something sitting by his bed, um, and I don't think I've ever heard that denied from anybody in his camp. So you know, and he he does all these you know fiery hand gestures, and I mean his hand gestures are a little bit goofy, mm-hmm. but um, but he does them during his speeches, and uh, I don't know. Yeah, he he obviously. Idolizes that kind of a person and wants to kind of be that kind of person for America, which is obviously a horrible idea. Obviously mm-hmm. stupid. Obviously leads to some very very bad things, as he might say, <laughs> vaguely, mm-hmm. <laughs> with characteristic understatement. <laughs> but, um, right. Yeah, speaking of speaking of Trump, I read just a bit ago also that Melania Trump's website is down. Mm-hmm. It was taken down. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently there was a claim on the website that she had gone to, she had gotten an undergraduate degree in Slovenia in design and architecture, mm-hmm. um, which was not true. Apparently she dropped out of college after one year and went into a modeling thing. Mm-hmm. So probably between lying about her education credentials, let's be real, Donald Trump didn't marry her for for her brains. <laughs> Shock. So I think, he, I think he would even admit that. <laughs> um, but between that and between the plagiarism on her uh, speech, I think she's become sort of a liability as opposed to a strength, whereas Bill Clinton is obviously a strength to Hillary at this point, although he has been a liability at various other times. I think, you know, Michelle Obama and Barack Obama have both been uh, strengths for each other and strengths for Hillary at this point. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's his whole his whole group is a disaster. He's got second rate spouse. <laughs> um, although she's still better than uh, Heidi Cruz, apparently I don't know in certain departments. Um, 
He's got second-rate celebrities. He's got, you know, just second-rate everything. Mm-hmm. Not winning. Just really not winning these days. Mm-hmm. Although, sadly, he's up in the polls, um, so I guess he is winning by that rubric. Right. Um, yeah, I don't think that's going to last. I think Hillary's going to get a major bump off this, uh, off her convention here. Mm-hmm. In spite of the the protests, the Bernie protests, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I'm just trying to imagine a, a scenario where a Democratic candidate, like, imagine if uh, Obama had like it was on his third wife, and he had like his like <laughs> kids from like you know four different women or whatever on stage, and I'm just trying to imagine the apoplectic response from the Fox News crowd uh, to that. But it's like that was like the only thing everyone kept clinging to. I remember during Mike Pence's speech, uh, he's like, you know, you you can't fake good kids or whatever. You got look at those kids. It's like, <laughs> wow, that's this is all we have left to go to, I guess. Just going, oh, wow, those kids, they definitely look white to me. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. I, I don't think Mike Pence is having a very happy time. <laughs> I think, he, I think like, uh, like Chris Christie before him, I think he realizes that he has signed up for a very, very bad deal. <laughs> you know. Any kind of values, credibility, whether it's family values or whatever else, uh, he he doesn't have them anymore after this. Thing. Yeah, it's it's just so funny slash sad to see him and Paul Ryan debase themselves like on a weekly basis as Trump just goes around the country just bowling a china shopping uh, with his mouth. Uh, you know, just talking about like we're asking Russia to hack uh, U.S. officials, and you know, it's like the the judge and. In, in, who was born in Indiana? Who um, who is presiding over the Trump University case? Trump saying that he can't uh, be fair because he's a Mexican. I have had horrible rulings. I've been treated very unfairly by this judge. Now, this judge is of Mexican heritage. I'm building a wall. Okay, I'm building a wall. I am going to do very well with the Hispanics, the Mexicans. So no Mexican judge could ever be involved in a case that involves you? uh, He's a member of a society where you know very pro Mexico, and that's fine. It's all fine. But Except I think, that you're calling into I question think he his should recuse himself. Because and he's Then Latino. you also say, does he know the lawyer on the other side? I mean, does he know the lawyer? You know, a lot of people say But I'm not yes, talking about that. I'm talking no, about that's like, another. That's another problem. But you're invoking his race when talking about whether or not he can do his job. Jack, I'm building a wall, okay? I'm building a wall. I'm trying to keep business out of Mexico. Mexico's fine. There's nothing... But he's American. Mexican, he's an American. Uh, he's of Mexican heritage, and he's very proud of it, as I am where I come from. But he's my an parents. American. You keep talking about Jake. It's a conflict Jake. of interest because of Mexico. Are you ready? I have a case that should have been dismissed already. I have thousands of people saying Trump University is fantastic. Okay, I have a case that should have been dismissed. I have a judge that never ever gives a. Now we lose the plaintiff. He lets the plaintiff of the case out. So why isn't he canceling the case? So we thought we won the case. So you disagree with his rulings. No, I no, totally no, understand that. But you're... I've had lawyers come up to me say, you are being treated so unfairly, it's unbelievable. Isn't... You know, the plaintiffs in the case have all said wonderful things about the school. And they're suing. you know why they're suing? Because they want to get their money back. I don't really want to litigate the case you have to. of Trump University. Because what if a... he was giving me fair rulings, I wouldn't say that. My but question is... Jake, if you he know... were giving me fair rulings... I wouldn't be talking to you this way. He's giving me horrible But rulings. I don't care if you criticize him. That's fine. You can criticize every decision. What I'm saying is, if you invoke his race as a reason why he can't do his job... I think that's why he's doing it. But 
Is I think that's why he's doing it. When Hillary Clinton says it's Hillary, a racist Hillary attack. Hillary Clinton is a stiff. If Hillary Clinton Paul becomes Ryan today, Paul Ryan today said he, he didn't care for the way that you were attacking this judge. Look, I'm just telling you, Paul Ryan doesn't know the case. Here's the story. Isn't it the death? I should have won this case on summary judgment. This is not a case. This is a case I should have won on summary judgment. Do you know the law firm paid Hillary Clinton hundreds of thousands of dollars to make speeches? Do you know the law firm? I has, do. And we've reported. Oh, do. We've, re oh. we've reported it on my show. Okay, in fact. well, I'm glad you're the only one. The but law firm. Wait a minute. The law firm paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to Hillary Clinton for speeches. Before either of you, she were wasn't worth it. Everybody fell asleep during a speech. Before okay? either of you were running for president, they did. But here's the just the, the fundamental question. You know that they've contributed tremendous amounts of money to her campaign. Yes. Do you know they've contributed a lot of money to Eric Schneiderman, the, the New York Attorney General? Here is my question. No, no. Do you know that? I did not know that. Do you know that these people went to every Attorney General practically in the country that they could? And do you know this case was turned down by almost every Attorney General from Texas to Florida to many of these uh, states? Is it not when Hillary Clinton says this is a racist attack and you reject that, if you are saying he can't do his job because of his race? Is that not the definition of racism? No, I don't think so at all. No? No. He's proud of his heritage. I, I respect him for that. You're saying he can't do his job because of it. Uh, look, he's proud of his heritage, okay? I'm building a wall. Now, I think I'm going to do very well he's with Hispanics. He's a legal Hispanics. citizen. You know why I'm going to do well with Hispanics? Because I'm going to bring back jobs, and they're going to get jobs right now. They're going to get jobs. I think I'm going to do very well with Hispanics, but we're building a wall. He's a Mexican. We're building a wall between here and Mexico. The answer is... He is giving us very unfair rulings, rulings that people can't even believe. This case should have ended years ago on summary judgment. The best lawyers, I have spoken to so many lawyers, they said, this is not a case. This is a case that should have ended. I've this judge is giving us unfair rulings. Now I say why. Well, I want to, I'm building a wall, okay? And it's a wall between Mexico, not another country. But he's, not, my, he's not from Mexico. In my opinion. He's from Indiana. He is he's Mexican, Mexican heritage. And he's very proud of it. <clears throat> and then Paul Ryan in the same breath saying, that's the textbook's uh, definition of a racist statement. And then being like, oh, what, I still support him. I disavow these requirements. I regret those comments that he made. I don't think claiming a person can't do their job because of their race is sort of like the textbook definition of a racist comment. I think that should be absolutely disavowed. It's absolutely unacceptable. But do I believe that Hillary Clinton is the answer? No, I do not. And same thing happening to uh, Mike Pence, I'm sure, here lately with the uh, with the Russia stuff. And it's like, <laughs> is there nothing that this guy can do to get you to not support him just because it's, you know he has an R next to his name? Is that really the only thing? I mean, it's, it's kind of bearing out. You know, we all laughed at Trump when he was like, you know, I could shoot a guy in the middle of Fifth Avenue in New York and no one would, you know, would still love me. My poll numbers would go up or whatever he said um, maybe that's true maybe he has some kind of special hypnosis voodoo magic that we don't know about that he can just you know he has uh, sway over these people that they'll defend him no matter what and it's like there's no there doesn't seem to be anything he can say that will get him off the Trump train the people my people are so smart and you know what else they say about my people the polls they say I have the most loyal people did you ever see that where I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? It's like incredible. <laughs> no, they say, Trump, we love you too, man. Yeah, I think, I think there's a certain, a certain amount of that in both parties, but um, mm -hmm. with the candidate, but because um, I, I think when you, when you talk to diehard Hillary supporters about 
the realities or the things that she's done, they don't offer a lot of defense of those things, but they're like, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, you know, Donald Trump, but Trump, you know, that's kind of like their comeback or, but, you know, Bernie's not realistic or, you know, Trump this, or, you know, you know, just, I, I, I do think there's, I think there's a, uh, a willingness to overlook any, any kind of thing. And obviously those, those foibles are much larger on Trump's side. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think that's why people say that this could be the death of the Republican party as we know it, mm-hmm. because so many quote unquote respectable traditional conservatives are being forced to take positions with this guy, supporting this guy or protecting him that are totally indefensible. Mm-hmm. And after the, after the chaos of this conventions and the election dies down, people are going to say, well, you know, where were you at that time? What were you doing when he was saying this? Mm-hmm. You know, oh, you were supporting him. That doesn't look good on you anymore. Um, mm-hmm. So um, that was, a, yeah, definitely a thing. But uh, to kind of put a bow on our convention coverage here of both parties, who do you think came out? better as far as what they were trying to achieve or what, you know, will actually help them in the election. Oh, I think, I think, you know, I think both of them went into the conventions, um, with a bit of a rebellion. Uh, Trump's got put down, Trump's rebellion from the, the never Trumper, you know, never Trump faction got put down very, pretty clearly on the first day. And like we've mentioned was, kind of brought back up briefly again with uh, Ted Cruz. I think Hillary went into the convention with the emails leaking the same day, having to fire Debbie Washington Schultz and then immediately rehire, uh, having the Bernie supporters protesting, especially on the first day, but continuing to chant things throughout. Um, but I, I, in spite of that, I think even though um, Hillary endured more substan- sustained resistance, I think that she came out with a stronger convention, better speeches, um, less ambiguous, bigger celebrities, um, more powerful people, more inspirational people. Um, and I, I, I think that in with, you know, just a more positive message. Mm-hmm. So I think I think you know Trump's up in the polls right now, but I think Hillary will be probably up by next week. But I, I don't think that's necessarily going to be the end all be all. I think the polls could continue to fluctuate based on events. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I do think that the uh, that the Russia thing mm-hmm. is a uh, this is a uh, what can we say this is a this is something that's going to hurt him. I think I don't think anybody really wants to defend this and. Um. Yeah, I, I just think this is something that's gonna that's gonna disappoint people. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah. Um. I think one person we haven't talked about perhaps is Obama. Mm. Oh yeah, I guess Obama's right. Speech. Yeah, I did. He gave a really good speech. I thought. What do you think? Yeah, it was pretty good. Um. He. Uh, what did he say? He said Trump isn't even conservative. He's pessimistic, which is, um, you know, that's true. His his speech was remarkably negative. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I, I did think Obama's speech was a little bit too positive. You know, mm-hmm. he said, like, the state of our nation is great. Or, you know, he said, things are going great. Things are in good condition. And I'm like, really? I just, you know, I don't think anybody objectively looking at the state of America right now 
with regard to, you know, race relations, shooting, um, shootings, police shootings, black shootings, um, terrorism, um, domestic, domestic terrorism and stuff coming up, mm-hmm. uh, the econ- economy not improving for the majority of, well, I don't know. I don't know if I can say the majority of people, but, um, just, you know, wall street benefiting main street, not benefiting so much, uh, and you know, I don't think you can lay all of that at Clinton or at, uh, Obama's feet, feet. But I think you know, I think a lot of it has to do with the Republican House and Senate. But um, and but uh, I don't know. Yeah, I I, I think he, I, I think if if Trump was overly pessimistic, Obama. I think Obama was overly optimistic. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, he, at one point he said, don't do vote. And I would have normally been angry about that because it would have been directed against the Bernie people, but. And then there's Donald Trump. (laughs) Don't boo, vote. (laughs) Yeah, the, uh, the, the Donald is not really a plans guy. He's not really a facts guy either. He calls himself a business guy, which is true, but I have to say I know plenty of businessmen and women who've achieved remarkable success without leaving a trail of lawsuits and unpaid workers and people feeling like they got cheated. Does anyone really believe that a guy who spent his 70 years on this earth showing no regard for working people is suddenly going to be your champion, your voice. Hey, if so, you should vote for him. He was saying that because he'd mentioned Trump and everybody booed Trump and he mm-hmm. said, don't boo folks. So yeah. That's, that was a nice line. Yeah, I like that um, moment too. He said, um, what do you say? We all need to be as vocal and persistent as Bernie Sanders supporters. We all need to get out and vote Democrat up and down the ticket and then hold them accountable until they get the job done. That's right, feel the burn. So if you agree that there's too much inequality in our economy and too much money in our politics, we all need to be as vocal and as organized and as persistent as Bernie Sanders supporters have been during this election. We all need to get out and vote for Democrats up and down the ticket and then hold them accountable until they get the job done. That's right, feel the burn. So I guess that was a shout out to um, Bernie Sanders supporters. I thought it was, you know, it was nice. I mean, I think it was pretty balanced. It's we need to, yeah, Bernie, we need to be as vocal and persistent. So he's recognizing that people are very strongly supportive of Bernie Sanders. He says, mm-hmm. get out, vote up and down the ticket, of course, of course, yes. And then hold them accountable until they get the job done. I think that was where he's saying that if you support Bernie, you need to vote for Hillary, but then try to hold her accountable. Mm-hmm. But the thing was, I think if there was ever a point to hold Hillary accountable, this was the week to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, If she was going to come out and say something very hard and strong on TPP, this was the week to do it. If she was going to really commit to a lot of the stuff that she said that she was going to come around on vis-a-vis Bernie Sanders' policies, 
And if she was going to actually reach out to the Bernie Sanders voters, the left wing of the Democratic Party, this was the week to do it. If she doesn't do it now and if she doesn't do it when we actually had some leverage, uh, good luck holding her accountable to anything on the left wing after she gets elected. Mm-hmm. I don't see it happening, you know. Um, at one point, Obama said, look, Hillary's got her share of critics. And then somebody shouted in the audience, no TPP. And then he continued, she's been character caricatured by the right and by some on the left. Hillary's got her share of critics. She has been caricatured by the right and by some on the left. She has been accused of everything you can imagine and some things that you cannot. (laughs) But she knows that's what happens when you're under a microscope for 40 years. She knows that sometimes during those 40 years she's made mistakes, just like I have, just like we all do. That's what happens when we try. Uh, I, I don't know. I think he's kind of, you know, I, I think she's been wrongly characterized on the right, but I do think that like a lot of, you know, the people who are criticizing on the left largely, maybe not a hundred percent, but largely are doing so based on a very clear and factual reading of the the things that she's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he also talked about my Kansas grandparents, and he said, you know, I, they, they've been here for generations, but I don't think they came over with birth certificates. He said they were Scotch-Irish, so of course Trump doesn't make a big deal about it. Mm-hmm. He said that, you know, their their Kansas values were, you know, they don't appreciate braggarts and bullies and all this stuff, which is obviously very pointed at Donald Trump. So I mm-hmm. think he you know, kind of coming back on Trump over the birther stuff, you know. And it's gotten me thinking about the story I told you 12 years ago tonight about my Kansas grandparents and the things they taught me when I was growing up. See, my grandparents, they came from the heartland. Their ancestors began settling there about 200 years ago. I don't know if they had their birth certificates, but they were there. And they were Scotch-Irish mostly. Farmers, teachers, ranch hands, pharmacists, oil rig workers. Hardy, small-town folk. Some were Democrats, but a lot of them, maybe even most of them, were Republicans. Party of Lincoln. And my grandparents explained that folks in these parts, they didn't like show-offs. They didn't admire braggarts or bullies. They didn't respect mean-spiritedness or folks who were always looking for shortcuts in life. Instead, what they valued were traits like honesty and hard work, kindness, courtesy, humility, responsibility, helping each other out. That's what they believed in, true things. 
things that last, the things we try to teach our kids. Look, I'm, I'm as American as anybody, and uh, I come from a rural state, and uh, these are the values that my grandparents had. So, you know, it's an interesting point. So th those were some of the things that I noted from uh, Obama's speech. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What did you... What, what did you take away? I liked it. I thought it was. I thought it was a good speech. Uh, you know, it made me. Every time I hear him give a good speech, it reminds me of what I liked about him in the first place. I mean, he's definitely a good orator um, and stuff. So I, I feel like he was definitely a, a good. Uh, you know, he was making a con convincing argument for passing the baton, as he said. Um, but yeah, no, I just. You know, it, it's hard. It's hard to like square all that with. With when you actually hear Hillary talk, I, I hate to keep going back to this, but it's just like I just I just don't like to hear her speak. I just don't want to. I don't want to hear about it. She just doesn't. Nothing about it scans as as genuine or or anything like that. Maybe she is uh, the most qualified, as he said. Uh, what What do you think of that line where he said nobody, including me or Bill, has been as qualified for this? Yeah. <laughs> I can say with confidence. There has never been a man or a woman, not me, not Bill, nobody, more qualified than Hillary Clinton to serve as President of the United States of America. I think, I think again, on paper, that's probably true. And it's, I mean, it's, you know, perhaps undeniably true, but I think, you know, there's more to politics and there's more to representing the American people than, you know, having, having all your dotting and crossing all your T's and dotting all your I's or whatever on your resume, which is, you know, I don't know, you know, mm -hmm. you've got to, there's got to be some emotion there. There's got to be some sense that you uh, sympathize with people, perhaps even when they disagree with you. I don't think we've seen that from Hillary. When the Black Lives Matter woman unfolded that, that thing, she got, you know, taken out of the room. Um, when somebody asked Hillary Clinton a, a question about something about Bernie Sanders, Hillary just started yelling at her. I am so sick of Bernie Sanders people coming to me and yada, yada, yada. We're making sure that South Carolina became the first state with body cameras. There's more work to be done, but you got to lay down these markers. you got to build toward uh, common sense uh, gun reform, criminal justice uh, uh, reform, and all the like. So I think we've got a very... Uh, I think we've got somebody saying here, we have we to bring them to heal. Okay, we'll talk I'm about it. I'm not a super predator, Hillary Clinton. Okay, fine, we'll talk about it. Can you apologize to black people for mass incarceration? Well, can I talk? And then maybe you can listen to what I say. Okay, nice. Thank you very much. Um, there's a lot of issues, a lot of issues in this campaign. The very first speech that I gave back in April was about criminal justice reform and about predators. You're being rude. That's not appropriate. That's not appropriate. That's rude. Now, you want to hear the fashion you want to talk. I know that you okay. called black youth You're super predators in 1994. Let, please explain the record. Explain it to us. You owe black people an apology. Well, that's an inappropriate 
give me a chance to talk, I'll tell you something. You know what? Nobody's ever asked me before. You're the first person to ask me, and I'm happy to address it, but you are the first person to ask me here. Um, okay, back to the issues. Uh, the issues that I think are important. I mean, she just starts haranguing people mm-hmm. when she's caught off the cuff, when she's caught in public and confronted by somebody who may or may not have a reasonable <laughs> complaint. And I, I just don't see, I don't see, I don't see Bill Clinton or Barack Obama handling the situations in the same way. Mm-hmm. They have more charisma, more charm, and that they may, they may strongly disagree with the person, but they're going to handle it much better. Mm-hmm. And and at the same time, I think Bill Clinton, like, I mean, this guy just oozes uh, uh, empathy. You know, he empathizes with people. He feels people's pain, and he tries to meet them halfway And then when he when he responds to them. And it's just, these, these are just things that they're kind of, you know, what can we say? They're kind of, they're not, they're a little bit esoteric. They're not exactly something you can put your finger on. They're not a... They're, uh, they're, a, they're, so, they're soft, soft skills. You know what yeah. I mean, and these are you know, these are just things that I think are necessary. <laughs> I, you know, you can't quantify them exactly, but I think they are necessary. Uh, I don't think you're going to be a very successful politician if you have such a uh, uh, what can we say combative uh, attitude. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm sure some people would say it's sexist to say that Hillary has a competitive attitude because they'd say, "Oh, well, you know, are you saying the woman has to be nice and pleasant all the time?" I'm like, no. I mean, I, I would say that there are men similar to you know, probably like Donald Trump, who are very aggressive and browbeat people and yell at people right to their face and stuff like this, and get them out of here, get them out of here, you know, sick the security on people or whatever. And I would say that that's not the right, it's not a winning attitude for a man, and I would say it's not a, not necessarily a winning attitude for Hillary Clinton either. Not that she does the same thing as Trump, but just her attitude to being challenged in public by people that she's not expecting to be challenged by is very, um, very different, right? And not in a good way. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I think that's, I think that's something. For sure. Um, now, looking ahead, uh, I'm not sure when the first debates are going to be or whatever, but we should probably uh, do another uh, roundup when, when those start happening. But uh, how do you see those oh, debates uh, playing out here? I'm, 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 you know, I'm get, I'm stocking up on popcorn because <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that the sparks are going to fly. Uh-huh. I, and honestly, I have no idea. I, I, you know, I have a feeling Hillary is a better debater. Hillary's going to have the command of the facts. Hillary's going to have the facts and figures. And Donald Trump is going to say ridiculous, offensive things. And, but I don't know who's going to win the debate. <laughs> you know, I, it's honestly a complete 50 50. You know, she may, he, she's definitely going to make him look ridiculous in any kind of a debate format and make him look foolish and ill informed. And, and part of that is because he's an idiot. And part of that is because she's been in the halls of power for, you know, 25 years or so, mm-hmm. longer maybe. And he's been doing whatever the hell he's been doing, which is not, yeah, not that. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I could, I could see him getting a few low blow shots in that, that dominate the headlines and make her look bad. So mm-hmm. I, ooh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about those. I'm excited just to see what the hell happens. And, uh, I hope she wins, but, um, again, winning a debate is nice, but it doesn't always mean anything. I think, you know, 
back leading up to the 2004 election, I remember, you know, John Kerry just absolutely blasting Bush in every debate. And I was just thinking nobody could possibly think that Bush won that debate, but Bush went ahead and won the election. Yeah. So. Well, you forgot about Poland, um, as Bush famously <laughs> said, yeah. I believe, in one of those debates. <laughs> the United Nations, Kofi Annan, offered help after Baghdad fell. And we never picked them up on that and did what was necessary to transfer authority and to transfer reconstruction. It was always American run. Secondly, when we went in, there were three countries, Great Britain, Australia, and the United States. That's not a grand coalition. We can do better. 30 seconds. Well, actually, you forgot Poland. And now there's 30 nations involved. Yeah, it's a, it's a, I, I, we don't miss Bush. We don't miss him for a second. But we do miss that kind of the stupid charm. <laughs> I think there's something to be missed about that. Uh, yeah, the, the Bushisms were were uh, a league unto their own. But um, what did you? I, this is something we yeah. didn't talk about. Did you see him at the Dallas uh, police officer's funeral? Oh, the dancing! Yeah, that was bizarre, yeah, right? That was that was bizarre, totally bizarre. And you could even see um, uh, her, his wife, uh, just. Staring at him yeah, like, what are you? Cut it out. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, and Barack and Michelle Obama were like looking over at him and kind of laughing, like, and you know they shouldn't be laughing at the funeral, but they're like, this is a, this is a damn ridiculous situation, and like, you know, I heard some people asking like, was he drunk? Is he back on the sauce? Is he just is he getting old and senile? Is he? I don't know. I don't know. It's it's just yeah, that was bizarre. And the funny thing was, there's some there's some conservative guy on my Facebook and. He posted some video. It's always, you know, it's it's a it's it's a twenty four hour, twenty four seven battle not to respond to some of the stupid shit I see get posted on Facebook sometimes. So this one guy, he posted a video, and like I watched the video, he's like, "Here, watch these two speeches. Watch Bush's speech and watch Obama's speech at the funeral of the slain cops." And and like I watched the speeches, and you know, I guess Bush says some stuff that might be slightly better for if you're a Republican, but Obama doesn't, at any in any respect, give a bad speech. And I just wanted to post on there: was this before or after Bush started dancing? Because I have a feeling that this guy is a Republican. He probably has no idea about that. He just his news sources didn't report on it or something, right? Or you know, just to post a link to the dancing, the dancing bush at the funeral. But my my better angels prevailed. <laughs> you know, resist the urge. No, there are there are certain people. I have hidden certain of them on my news feed, but I'm still friends with them because it is fun to, to every once in a while check in with. It's like what is what are the crazy people thinking about today? I wonder. <laughs> like, it's good to have that connection because it's like we can live in that bubble where we just see our own, you know, uh, confirming media. Uh, but I do think it's it's valuable to to peek in other people's bubbles. Nobody ever wins an argument online. You're not going to convince them of anything. You may lose a quote unquote friend, but um. I don't know. I'm not trying to lose friends. I'd rather just have them out there and just see what they're thinking, what they're doing. Keep an eye on them. Make sure they're not going to hurt anybody. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah, you you always see those people posting stuff like, "This is the story that the media media blackout on this," and it's like, is that because your only media comes from other people on Facebook? Like, because I'm pretty sure somebody's probably reporting about this if you like actually read a newspaper or like anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like, a lot of these conspiracies, they they say something that's so outrageous, and I'm like. 
look, if if this was true, don't you think the national media would pick it up? Of course not. No, they they want to they want to protect the liberals in power. I'm like, no, they want to make a profit. Mm-hmm. And if they reported this because it was true, they would get huge numbers of clicks. Mm-hmm. But it's not true, so they don't report it. So you know. Apply some level of logic to the way you process news stories and what's going on in the world, or you just won't understand it. <laughs> right. Yeah, I remember there was one speaker at the Democratic convention uh, where uh, it was one of the, I think, the mother of one of the victims in Orlando, uh, and all the YouTube comments, of course, yeah, don't read the comments, but um, all the YouTube comments on this were like, well, she's obviously a crisis actor. She's been paid to do this. She's not real. And it's like, I bet with, like, two Google searches, I could, like, find everything you'd want to know about this woman, uh, including, like, you know her background and everything that was obviously not planted there by the whoever you think is doing this you know but yeah. it's like it's more comfortable oh, yeah. for them to think oh this is you know it feels like this so obviously <laughs> yeah they've they've uh, they've they've will, willfully they've willingly and willfully disconnected with reality where it doesn't support what they believe right you know and I you know like I mean a person could listen to the podcast here or whatever and they could say oh the child's a disgruntled Bernie bro or something. But I think, I think I've, I've gone to some length to give Hillary credit or give, you know, other people that I don't necessarily agree with. Hell, I've, I've even given Trump a little bit of credit on his speech and things where I think the credit is due. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm, I, I, I get news. I, you know, every day I check the news, I check the young Turks. I, I will listen to them. I check CNN. I check HuffPost. I, during these conventions, I've been checking Fox News. Even. Uh, I've checked Red State just to get a sense of what the Republicans who don't love Trump are thinking. Um, you know, so I, you know, I go out there. I seek out the information that doesn't always agree with my, you know, quote unquote liberal bias or whatever. But um, there's a lot of people who don't, right? Mm-hmm. And it's very obvious who those people are sometimes. Yeah. Exactly. Well, uh, was there anything else about the conventions or the election you wanted to to get in there? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know too much else right now. It's it's been mostly just trying to keep up, keep on top of the speeches and stuff, and as well as keep on top of the other news that's going on. And um, I do apologize to our listeners that the child has been a little bit low energy tonight. It has been. I tell you what, this work week has been the week from hell. Today, I worked. I was in classroom for about nine hours, and I was at work or commuting to and from companies and stuff at work for a total of about twelve hours, from six mm-hmm. thirty in the morning until six p.m. at night. And so, on a Friday after a long week, it's just been a long, long, long day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't have my uh, my usual vigor. Are you, are you just yeah. uh, anticipating uh, Trump's attacks on you after this? Jonathan Fowler, very low energy. Sad. (laughs) (laughs) It is sad. I I would have been on that point, perhaps. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, um, yeah, he would be correct, perhaps, in this this case, but... But um, hopefully in the future, if we when we do future podcasts, I'll have my I'll have my energy back and I'll oh, yeah. you know I'll be uh, energized and I don't know you know it's sad we just finished this uh, thing and we've watched all these inspirational happy speeches and I don't feel energized you mm-hmm. know I don't I don't think that's maybe that's not a good sign for Hillary I don't know yeah maybe there's something we can read into that mm-hmm. for sure 
well, I mean, she's given us lots of reasons to vote against Donald Trump and the less reasons to vote for her um, than maybe some of us would like. So uh, we'll have to see how that all shakes out. But um, was there anything in Korea you wanted to, to talk about? Any K-pop or any, any Korean news or anything? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, not, let's see. What's going on in Korea? Still, I mean... Still no Pokemon Go over here. Ah. Um, still the bus drivers are acting a fool. Um, <laughs> still, uh, I don't know. Yeah, just nothing nothing new. Just mm-hmm. uh, another hot, hot week, long, hot week over here in Korea with a little bit of rain. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I wish I had some more to report about Korea, but yeah, there's really not much right now. There is a Korean zombie movie in theaters now, and maybe, maybe it'll come to America in some limited release or something or on DVD in a few months. It's called Busan Hang, which is, um, the city of Busan, the southwest, uh, southeastern, um, coastal city, port city, close to Japan. And it's Busan Hang. Busan is a city and Hang means line like subway line or train line. Mm-hmm. So it's the story of a, a businessman and his young daughter or something who get on the train for vacation in Busan, but zombies are on the train as well. And so they end up battling the zombies and stuff. Mm. I really want to see it, but I need to go somewhere. I'm going to try to maybe see it next week if I can see it with English subtitles. Because um, I've always said the zombie movie set in Korea would be epic. Mm. And I was thinking more about the gigantic kind of Soviet area, uh, Soviet era, um, concrete boxes that thousands of people live in here, millions of people really rather than a train, but I'm still intrigued enough to want to see that movie. So the, I think it was called, I think in English it's called the train to Pusan or something like that Mm -hmm. in in Korean it's Pusan hang. So yeah. So keep an eye out for that movie. Maybe. Yeah. Definitely. Cool. Well, uh, thanks for jumping on the phone here after a, a long week, and uh, we'll have to keep our eyes open for any uh, developments. I'm sure will be happening, but uh, thanks for uh, covering the Democratic and the Republican conventions. I think we've we've done we've done our duty here. I think we're coming up on uh, four and a half, five hours total. So it's been pretty epic. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and it, I think it has been a lot of work trying to watch all these things in between classes and stuff. Oh yeah, and like I said, even though even though I didn't see the Hillary Clinton or the Cory Booker or the Elizabeth Warren speeches, I mean that just because we didn't cover those in this in this podcast doesn't mean that I'm not going to go back and watch those over the next couple of days. I mean, there's still something that's on my radar. I think they're important and stuff, and I will see them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's not just a matter of I didn't want to watch them. I I still want to watch them. They're still on my radar, and I'm going to do that. So. Mm-hmm. I may, you know, have more thoughts on those at a later date. Cool. All right. Well, uh, thanks right. again, Cha. I'll uh, talk to you soon, man. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye-bye.